So, where should we start? Welcome back to Doom Patrol Radio WDPR 96.3, your favorite trans-dimensional frequency that's been delayed, relayed, and mislaid. If you crave satisfaction, then check this action, Jackson. Today's adventure is the attraction that will put you in traction. The goal being to control the soul and make it whole before the troll takes its toll. Here on Doom Patrol Radio. Have you, have you, so, like, you've ever been on, like, a conference call that's, like, um... I've never done that. You've never been on a conference call? Oh, shit. Nope. Yeah, I don't even know what a conference is. You're fucking lying. That's what uh, that's what the basketball players play for, right? Is that a sports? T- it's if you're trying to do like a sports joke, that's going right over my head, man. All right, welcome back, nobody's your favorite Doom Patrol podcast. This side of the painting. My name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And my name is Nathan. You can also find me on all social media at No Clutch Nate. We normally don't do the social media drops, but we did it this time. Uh, today we're talking about Finger Patrol, the fifth episode of season two of Doom Patrol. And Nate, how are you feeling today? Um, uh, like every other day, Mark, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Um, you know, you always ask me how I'm feeling after I watch an episode of Doom Patrol. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm never going to say, Mark, I'm doing bad. You know. I just watched one of the, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite things <laughs> in the world. And that's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm here to talk about it. You're never going to get a, a bad from me when we're talking about this show. Ask me again in three hours. I ask you that, but then, I, you know, you, yeah, you are like, oh, I'm doing great. And, you know, but, um, you know, the show can also make you feel upset. And I feel like this is probably... One of the more upsetting mm-hmm. episodes, like yeah. And when I say upsetting, I mean like what happens in the show uh, to me was was like one of those. Oh, I'm very upset with the outcome of what happened. Not like upset with the actual show or anything like that. Um, but you know, today's synopsis is uh, the title. Today is Finger Patrol, and it's uh, Dorothy finds a friend in Baby Doll while Vic looks to win uh, Ronnie back with Rita's help. Larry finds, or Larry, Larry finally tries to break the ice with his family. Um, I think only one of those goes well out of the three, the three uh, plot lines that we have today. Um, so when I say upsetting, it's it's upsetting with what happens with the Dorothy, Dorothy subplot, and then w- something upsetting happens with with Larry. So, uh, but if you're still having a great time, Nate, I guess we can we can go ahead and get into it, or. Yeah, I'm uh, still having a go. I'm trying to think <laughs> of any of if there were any of the times that like I was um yeah, I've been like uh emotionally upset after watching some episodes, but it's not like um <laughs> like a like a crippling feeling. It's not the same type of upset I get when like my when something in my life happens that upsets me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like if I get so uh let me take it back. Um what Francis Patrol was? That's a heavy episode, Doc. Season one. Mm-hmm. I probably was upset, you know, after watching that and like you know uh, discussing 
the Larry Trainer storyline and all that stuff. Um, but that's not the same upset that I get when my car battery is dead because my brake lights <laughs> didn't shut off. True story. Or the pandemic ruins your trip to Japan upset. There you go. Man. Oh, man. That's crushing. Um, well, you know, let's we can uh, we can be upset together because we're going to be doing a new thing today. Normally, we just kind of recap today's episode, but we're going to be doing a little little bit different just because it's our show. We can do whatever we want. We're trying new things out. Uh, we're going to be doing a a rewatch of the episode together. We're going to watch it from start to finish and talk about what comes up and do a quick snapshot reactions to it all and see what happens. And we can deep dive into things as the the show goes on. Um, but yeah, today's episode is called Finger Patrol. It was directed by Glenn Winter and then written by Shoshana Shachi and uh, Chris Dingus, who um, obviously have been staples in the in the doom patrol writing in doom patrol writers so um as we as we wa- uh, walk through the the intro here nate was there anything mm-hmm. most memorable about the episode for you um yeah absolutely um yeah the <laughs> the end um yeah <laughs> uh, but no, hang, on, hang right? on hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on two two most me- i'm holding up fingers but like it's nixon so it's two uh, two fingers on each hand, peace sign. Was that a Nixon impression? <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> um, uh, two memorable parts. Uh, the one, you know, both at the end, and it was, you know, uh, oh, Mark, it's all, there were so many good memorable parts and stuff like that. But but mainly for me, the most memorable was the negative spirit bit uh, at the end. Oh that's, yeah, negative. Yeah, that's my boy. That's 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 uh that's my heart, Larry Trainer. That's like the most man. in control part uh, is, he's ever been. I know it blew my mind. I audibly went, "Oh," <laughs> and then started writing writing things down. Like, uh, I wrote one sentence, but was, <laughs> but it was a it very was meaningful a- sentence. It was, and it was a very meaningful uh, audio response from me, auditory, uh, vocal response from me. So this first part of the episode is going to be a dream sequence of Cyborg uh, where he thinks he's gotten back with Ronnie, and then, you know, it turns out to be a very violent dream. Uh, One of the most, like, eye-catching parts of of it for me is the opening shot. I don't know if you noticed, but... I I wrote it down, (laughs) Sub-Mountain! Yeah, like who's allowed to just take sandwiches? Can like, I go? Is that an actual practice? And obviously not now. Uh, I feel like that times. would be a really good sandwich shop routine Dude. if we weren't in a pandemic. And I understand yeah. like germ, but it's like, hey, you pay me a uh, dollar, and then you can just grab a sandwich off the lot. Like, just go grab yeah. one. Like, don't let it's me like see we you catch the two. one type of sandwich. And then Here's you your just turkey grab on it. rice. Damn it. And like that's it. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Nate. <laughs> exactly. Oh. It's like here like I'm going to this sub shop. You do, there's no menu board. Uh, it'll show you like what you can get, you know, if you don't want I don't know, Swiss cheese or something. I'm not a big Swiss cheese fan, so I don't want Swiss cheese. But Yeah, but you're going to eat like, it because yeah. that's on the that's what he's got. That's, you guys yeah, say- exactly. Exactly. So like I guess the equivalent would be Publix. 
homemade or not home the public's uh, pre-made subs that they individually rep, but not even the equivalent because that's just like you go and no, I want to go to that sub shop that has the tray of pyramid stacked sandwiches, and I just want to go. Like that's yeah, yeah. Let me get one. I think that'd be I'm a probably cool going to get a second one. Yeah, that's insane. And like that's that had to be. You don't just put one. You don't put that as your opening shot just for the fuck of it. That's got to be something that you people wanted. <laughs> or I think that has to real life that falls thing. in. That's got to fall in the like the inception thing of like once you wake up, then you realize how weird that dream was. That he'd oh, be like, shit. Yeah, it'd be like, oh, that's weird that. I was dreaming that I could just go and grab a bunch of sandwiches oh off my a, God. of a pile I didn't even, of sandwiches. Yeah. I didn't make the connection of it being a dream. And, like, in your dream, of course you're going to have a mountain of sandwiches that you go grab. Yeah. Because yeah. he's walking to the table, and then he's got two sandwiches on a tray. And he's like, oh, you know. And I'm like, that doesn't add up. Like, <laughs> if yeah. I was getting two sandwiches, i just grab the two sandwiches and walk over to the table with two sandwiches in my hand. Be like, here's the sandwich I grabbed. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, but you know, so at first I was like, Hey, wait a minute, pile of sandwiches. But then I was like, Hey, wait a minute, pile of sandwiches. <laughs> so I really want that pile of sandwich. Um, here's, here's our next big scene, which is that baby doll becomes the new primary of, of, of K Chalice right now. And this is, this is a remarkable performance overall. I know it's very unnerving to see like Diane like impersonate this eight year old child or whatever how old baby doll is supposed to be. Like it's supposed to be like a very young mm-hmm. adolescent child. But then it's it's not really because the real baby doll personality is kind of like what she is doing right now. Like you're yeah. a grown ass adult acting like a child. And when we see baby doll in the underground, it's a grown ass adult acting like a child. Yeah. <laughs> I think you said it a couple episodes ago when um I had mentioned um Dr. Harrison. Um when like you were like, you know, Diane and the other actress, like they have to like hang out and be like, let me get mm-hmm. the mannerisms, let me get the outward appearance, let me get the inflection, like all that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, you're definitely working together. Just like the same with, you know, um, the people in, you know, the suits versus their voice actors, stuff like like Yeah, it seems like everybody is working so coherently that it's... <sighs> It's just such a good show. <laughs> yeah. I saw a tweet always... today that said DC's best property is Doom Patrol. You need to push it more. And it's like, yeah, you're fucking right. Yeah. It's it's a really good, like, and I've thought about it. I, I've thought about it several times, but Diane plays a different Crazy Jane than the Crazy Jane we're used to in the comic books. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, that she's made it her own in a, in a more accessible way. Yeah. Um uh, because the comic book Crazy Jane was supposed to be more of like a doom and gloom kind of like androgynous type character and like that's not what Diane is playing and Diane Diane is playing like an actual uh like victim of abuse and stuff like that. Like a a, a yeah. girl who's actually been damaged by her past um um 
I can speak I really, to that a little bit. Oh yeah, go for it. Um, I was gonna say like whenever I would read like the Crazy Jane thing, um, you know, in Morrison's run and stuff like that, I never got the like complete sense of the split personalities. It's like you don't because mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's it's you know, it's uh, two dimensional and. You just have, like, the, the speech bubbles and everything like that. You don't get, like, physical things. You don't get, like, distress, really, other than crawling from the wreckage in the beginning there. It's, like, but that, that it kind of stops um, diving more into that. With Diane's performance, you're absolutely right. She's making it her own. It. I feel that that is a person that suffers from split personality disorder and, uh, you know, all these other... Uh, you know, issues that she had to deal with in the past and then now she's trying to cope with it and whoever's on top is, you know, obviously a prime example of a human being attempting to cope with all of that pain and suffering and and just everything. Um, so yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I never really got the... Uh, I don't want to say schizophrenia, but it's... Uh, I saw one, there was, like, I was in, like, 7th or 8th grade or something like that, and they showed me this one video about this guy that, um, had schizo, that was a schizophrenic, uh, I can't remember, remember he looked like, um, Dom DeLaRocco, did you ever see that one? I don't know if you saw that, but it was this guy that, like, they interviewed, and it was, like, a two-hour interview thing, and, like, he was, like, talking about, like, you know, the Antichrist and all these weird, crazy things, you know, and, anyway, like, that's my... Uh, source material. I think you're talking for, about Charles like, Manson. <laughs> no, it wasn't a Charles Manson thing. Um, just similar look. No, he looked like Don DeLaRocco. That's the guy's name, right, Boondock Saints? The guy that plays the character Rocco. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. who you're talking about. I was like, yeah. is this man trying to say Zach DeLaRocco or Dom DeLuise? I can't. I don't know which one. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> is that his name? Am I saying his name wrong? Uh, you might have it right. Yeah, Rocco from from Boondock Saints. Uh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that was like a the real person. It was like an actual interview thing, and um, it was like a schizophrenia thing, and like, you know, the mannerisms and everything. Like that was my first experience with that sort of mental disorder. Um, and for mm-hmm. like the longest time, I could never you know understand it it was just like that's uh upsetting and jarring to me but now with like diane it's like that's i i'm seeing it again and you're acting and your acting is phenomenal what i really like about it is those conversations with the personality in the underground and i paused mm-hmm. the video for a bit just because i want to keep talking about crazy jane and how well diane is doing the doing the character and then we can get back to the episode but what i really like is that they continue to have a conversation about what's wrong with with uh k or or jane or however you want to refer to the character but the personalities always have to bring back like why are we messed up like why are these personalities created we know how they were created and that's just the mind just being so abused that it, it shocks itself into having multiple personalities just to cope like we know that part but I like that these personalities do have that conversation of what is best for Kay. You know, we we were created to protect the child. That's why we exist. 
So when the personalities meet in the underground and they have to have this conversation of like, is this the best thing to do? Like, should this primary be up there? Should it not be? I really, I really enjoy that, that that's written in the episode that we have to have those conversations of like, and, and it just goes back to, um, not ignoring those underlying issues because in the, in the comic books, a lot of times they don't want to fix the problem. You know, uh, Batman, his parents are dead, you know, with crazy Jane, she's been like abused. So she has all these multiple personalities and they always just go sit and they always just say like, okay, that's it. That's what created them. Now let's ride. Let's have adventures yeah. now with this. It's like, Hey, we still got to talk about that issue you have yeah. so that we can try to heal you mm-hmm. instead of just being like crazy Jane's here. You know, she's the, she's the superhero with 64 personalities. It's like they, they introduce that problem and they bring it back when they want to like uh, stoke the flames of like mental illness or anything. But this is the actual thing that they're trying to solve here with the doom patrol. It's like, let's actually focus on your mental illness all the time. Like, cause that's the yeah. actual fight that you're trying to do. Not here's crazy Jane fighting the brotherhood of Dada. Uh, and every time she changes personalities, it's just like her thing. Superpower. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I do want to say that, um, talking about like, um, when, when we do get a look like into the underground and, uh, Jane is talking with like the other personalities and everything like that. It it occurred to me that um yeah, Hammerhead tries to take point and like be a somewhat leader in the underground or at least someone that is uh in s- some sort of <laughs> In, I don't know. I don't want to say control because I don't think it's that. But d- whatever type of leader that Hammerhead uh, sees themselves as in, in, in the underground, it's, it's so striking to me that um, like that's the role that Hammerhead wants to play, and yet it doesn't like happen, and it can't happen. It's like you're—you yeah, you just have to go back. It's like, Hammerhead, you're not— leading in any way shape or form like you are another personality like you were in the same exact spot as driver eight as sun daddy as black anis like all these things like you are in the same seat um maybe you have a better idea of how things are supposed to stay calm or subdued in the underground but you but it's tough for me to to see Hammerhead and be like, yeah, they're calling the shots. Like, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's it. It's uh, but it, it's it's very intriguing to me that um, to see the, like what how that character is going to develop and just all the personalities. Like, you know, because we know as you know, Jane is the primary, and Jane is the one that uh, you know, goes up top and and does all this stuff and and is in pseudo control. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you just roll that roll the clock back a little bit. It's like Jane is also another one of 64 personalities. So how much control do any of them have? 
it's really like then it turns into like uh you know taking shifts kind of thing which is what we saw like last week yeah absolutely i, I sometimes it's uh i i wonder who's actually deciding and it, it is it just like by popular vote who gets to be primary or something like that cuz sometimes just out of pure pure willpower one of them ends up being the primary yeah so i'm i'm always curious like who determines is it somehow you know, Kay Chalice is actually deciding in, in some weird way which personality should come mm-hmm. forth and be the primary at the moment? Uh, is or, the personalities deciding that on some sort of council, uh, you know, some sort of democracy that they have to vote for it? Or is it just pure authoritarian wild. that one decides and, and if it's strong enough, it resonates to making them the, the primary? The hammerhead is a is a big point that you bring up because hammerhead is probably the one of the most, and I say dominant not because it's because they're primary often, but dominant in, in the personality of the personality. Like hammerhead mm-hmm. is a very dominant person, um, and sometimes I wonder why hammerhead is not the primary uh, when it feels like that they want to be, and I I wonder if that's because there's a much more uh, nurturing side of, of Hammerhead that I see sometimes in the dialogue that I think even Hammerhead wouldn't admit to. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, I, and this is probably one of the best adapted personalities because Hammerhead in the books is nothing like Hammerhead in the TV show. Hammerhead in the books is literally a guy with a hammer for a yeah. head. It is one of the like mm-hmm. biggest turnarounds for a character. And we say it a lot on this show, but like, the adaptations of the characters are way better. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I have so many questions about the underground and I wonder if there's someone who's like an architect for the underground, which sounds very pun intended, but not really like <laughs> there has to be someone who's like, this is how it works. This is how we're going by the book. This is how things are decided. Like, or if everything's just kind of like, yeah, we'll figure it out in the fly. Yeah. That person Maybe there's primary. Uh... Maybe we're missing something about that, um, about the Miranda character. Like, there's maybe there's like some uh, subconscious thing happening yeah. with Miranda calling shots or like saying like, "Oh, you're feeling this emotion. Okay, send that one up. Oh, you're doing this. All right, that one's got to go up now. Like, this is mm-hmm. I call the shots. Jane might think that you know she's primary and su- suited for it because I'm allowing her." that personality to think that way i don't know maybe that might be a stretch well the subconscious could just be k chalice herself like maybe k chalice is so far deep in her own underground i mean we i don't think we really saw her we saw the the origin the original memory of her abuse with her father that led to the splitting of personalities but you know k k chalice could be so deep within herself and lost that she is her own subconscious now and and that's what it could be that instead of Miranda. Apparently Miranda's still around, so Yeah, I mean, well didn't we see uh didn't we see the change from Kay to Miranda Miranda when they were doing the whole Christian uh, uh exorcism thing that was going on? Yeah, was almost like a, was Yeah, almost like Miranda was the first Yeah. If not the first personality, like the first primary the first defense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't know if there's a chronological, you know, timeline of a personality splitting, but uh, I would assume that her personalities were 
you know, to get to 64, I know it's a hedonistic number, like, or, uh, the, the reason why Grant Morrison chose 64, uh, because there's 64 sex positions of Kama Sutra, but like mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, to get to that is like, uh, eight times eight. So it could just be like her personalities were splitting exponentially, uh, through her abuse. Uh, and I, I wonder if maybe her first personality was Miranda, but you know, uh, maybe they'll, maybe they'll answer that in the future. I think that was it. Cause now I'm thinking back now it's like, we're doing bad jobs of not rewatching things. Um, cause didn't the, uh, personalities with their powers happen when, you know, uh, Jane was like getting tested on the syringe. It was a scene of yeah, yeah. She had the personalities first. She had sixty four personalities at the time. She was then injected with instead of the gene bomb, it's the uh, whatever meta gene thing that they injected her with. So they were experimenting with meta gene stuff, and they tried giving her meta powers, but then it gave all sixty four personalities their own superpower. So, like, it messed them up that way, which is uh, kind of a question I have for later, but we'll save it, and uh, we'll get back to the episode at hand here. Uh, we kind of skipped a scene while talking so much, so that's why I paused it, but right before we, uh, right after we, uh, Baby Doll turns, takes control as primary, Rita Farr shows up at, like, a Lowe's or a Home Depot, a garden store, I don't know what a those stores are store. called. Yeah. A homing garden store. Um and she's auditioning with this. Uh, I, I find it just, you know, completely read afar. But at the same time, I'm like, what are you doing talking to someone while they're working <laughs> at the home and garden store? It's I mean, so- normally you would go to the theater and, you know, obviously the auditions would be being held and stuff like that. She was a day late. Uh, so she obviously had to do some. I guess digging around to figure out where this woman would be. It's like, no, I got to do an audition. And also probably like, you know, psyching herself up for the audition, everything. Maybe she read the newspaper a day late. Yeah. But I did enjoy it. Um, Oh, it's called Oilers Garden Center. I'm sorry. There you go. Um, Man, what a great umbrella, though. Oh man, the umbrella is, is fantastic. Like I want that umbrella. Rita's Rita's uh <laughs> out and about style that, you know, uh I don't want to say diva cuz that always seems a little mean. But she is. She isn't yeah, and but it's like I it's love that. better though. It's like actor is what it is. And like She's that She's a Golden Globe nominee. Exact god damn it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um and I just love that shit. Like her enunciating everything, just normal conversation, being that persistent, being the person that wants to go out for the lead and can deliver the monologue right there on the spot type thing. Like that is I love that. I love it so much. I think my my favorite thing that they wrote for her is is like this they really emphasize her child actor issue because uh, that's a very big deal in Hollywood is that child actors are just put through the the whole ringer. And Mm -hmm. Rita Farr is, 
is she well over 100 now? She's got to uh, be yeah. well over 100 now. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 2020, and I'm trying to think, like, when she was... By the time she was affected in, like, 1955, you know, she's about... Yeah, you know, just right about 100 years old now. And the, the child actor thing, and putting it into... It's like, she's has the child actor syndrome, whatever, if there's a proper term for it. But then also the fact that she's got the the superpower or, you know, the responsibility of handing whatever meta power she has now. And that she's like 100 years old. There's just so many things pile up well together for her. And it's such an amazing character. And I, I really love her outfits. Like, she has like that black robe on with like the the embellishments on it like mm-hmm. man i love it uh moving on to our next scene is cyborg or cyborg cliff Steele finds out about the robot man 2.0 blueprints here and uh i gotta be honest they look they, they don't look like they do in the comic like what robot man 2.0 but there is a blueprint of him having like a spider-like design which comes mm-hmm. from like the Geomancer Wars or whatever. Like he, uh, him, Crazy Jane, and uh, Rebus, Negative Man, get sent to some other planets where Rhea is like praised as a god. And there's like this Geomancer War between two uh, two things that were created by a fallen angel. And Robot Man gets like destroyed, like his lower half gets destroyed by like some demon dog. And he gets rebuilt a pair of spider legs. And I thought that was one of the coolest things was there's a reference to that in those blueprints. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the, one of the robot parts looked like it had like uh octopus tentacles or something on it. Like something. Yeah. Um, I guess it was like, <laughs> cause, well, cause like, um, you know, he's like talking about like, you know, giving uh cliff like uh sensory uh, receptors. So that was probably like just a crude idea of what, those sensory receptors are i don't know if the circles correlate to something that occurs like naturally in our world like tentacles or suction cups i don't know what Mm -hmm. they're called um or anything like that um but i think that's what like that i I don't know if i i took it as like oh that's just like the crude idea of how you expect the sensory to work yeah, like him trying to um, maybe, you know, because I would assume that everything is made out of metal still for Niles, yeah. that it would probably be try to like pick up the sound waves or something and be hot and cold to like like metal discs on his hand mm-hmm. to like, you know, to have sensory. Because like Niles is not an engineer. He's a mad scientist. He will... Uh, I don't know how to say it, but like he'll he'll stumble through trying to just figure out something that he's not proficient in. Like, oh well, I mean, he says it himself. He's like, because <clears throat> Cliff asks him, like, what are what are these you know doodles or whatever? He's like, this is the stuff that I have to get out of me before I can perfect it. Like, this is just how I do it. Like, I have to throw up all these things, and yeah, they could be somewhat realized or whatever. But like, this is my process this is how i do it i just have to just get everything out that's in me that i'm thinking and then we'll go from there 
Exactly. Yeah. It brings up like it could take decades or whatever. It's like, yeah, I've uh, clearly. <laughs> it you know, really Cliff is like was a standing in his room for like trade. thirty years. Yeah, it, you know, I it's one of the the interesting things about Niles Calder, especially like in the comic books, like he always has like a a secret room or like a room just full of like weird stuff that he's collected over time. And yeah, like it's, he's profoundly more interesting than professor Xavier because like professor Xavier has like everything already like in his mind, like kind of like at his disposal. Like he has the answer for things like to like, he can figure things out if he wanted Mm. to. I'm saying he he has the ability to figure things out if he wanted maybe, to. Maybe. But also, Dr. Hank McCoy is, like, the scientist. Well, he puts like, it in motion. Well, come on. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe Xavier will be like, hey, uh, check this out. I'm on a supersonic plane. And McCoy's like, yeah, okay. Like, go, go, go sit in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I... I enjoy that, like the you know they'll walk into a room and then there's like some weird contraptions and stuff. Oh from, yeah, absolutely. Like all these oddities that he's found, and it, it just it makes you feel that Niles Calder is so much more cultured, where Professor Xavier is just so much inward, like inside of his own. Yeah, ideals well, see, of there. Here's the big difference: is that Xavier is fighting a war like he has a dedicated adversary war. yeah yeah perpetuates and is fighting in that own war if you want to argue he's trying to stop it and stuff like that sure let's do it but this is also the man that has a school specifically designed for these people um and their training purposes so like he is facilitating a war between this the the mutants, whereas Niles Calder is just essentially a tinkerer and that like keep that likes to keep his things in one place, you know. Yeah, he's a and collector. And then we find out sorts. it's you know it's for selfish reasons too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like there is obvi- the obvious differences in Xavier and Niles Calder with Niles being the selfish, uh, bad guy with locking these people in their house and only using them, you know, uh, exploiting their powers for things that, you know, Justice League couldn't or didn't want to do, those types of things. Um, and Xavier, I guess, a- at face value, is seen as a good person that is attempting to help these kids that don't know what is going on. And in a weird tangent, I don't want to stay too much on it but i I wonder sorry it is mr nobody the is mr nobody the magneto to niles calder's xavier in that weird way of like weird is weird should be normal and like in x-men it's like mutants should be normal like that should be oh that's my my cat alarm going off but um yeah i don't know if uh you know (sighs) If Magneto is like I, mutant rights is uh, is nobody saying I des- things deserve to be weird because of how normal things have been in the, in, in a very negative way for me. Um, we can leave it at that. We don't you don't have to deep dive into that if you don't. Yeah, know. I was gonna try to find 
Like <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it would be Magneto Magneto or if Magneto. Like, you're right. I'm sorry. Um, Good call on that one. Maybe maybe Will Magnus would be the Magneto to Niles Calder. Mm-hmm. Maybe Maxwell Lord. No, not Maxwell Lord. I think Will Magnus would probably. Maybe I don't know. That's that's. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on from there. Uh, let's uh, let's get into to more strange stuff as we move on to our our next scene. And this is Larry. He's just got off the phone with Paul, uh, his son, where he said he's going to meet them, uh, help clear out uh, uh, Gary's house because Gary's just passed away. And mm-hmm. um, I love. I always love the scenes of Larry and, and Rita having a conversation together, even if it's, you know, it kind of starts off kind of mundane like this, but yeah, you know, well, they've been here for decades. Yeah. They're best friends. I mean, like that's like the, the conversation is so natural. It's amazing to me. I mean, like this is, you know, Rita's just coming down into the, uh, Den foyer. I don't really know what this plant room is. Living but obviously, area. What did you say? Living area. <laughs> Living area. Uh, yeah, I guess. And maybe the den is where they had like the therapy sessions and stuff. I don't know. I don't really know. I need a map. I need a map of Doom Manor, please. Is there a map of Doom Manor? Can Possibly. we have one? Maybe we should. I need it for my Minecraft server. Yeah, we'll send a tweet after this. Um, but yeah, the conversation of just so natural and Rita just going down to make a drink. Uh, after uh, assuming this is right after she gets back from the audition that you know she her she may have messed up um, thinking that she messed up um, but like the the walking down the stairs be like what are you you know what are you up to what are you doing kind of thing like I and then like not even batting an eye at just like making a drink continuing the conversation and you know, getting Rita getting hit with that rough news from Larry, where it's just like, oh, well, yeah, I hope you're, I hope you're all right, man. Like, it's just such a natural conversation, and yeah. right, I love seeing the two of them together on screen. I always, always, always think back to the GIF, you know, obviously because it was made into a GIF and everything of them riding the the electronic scooters up the to scooters, the like, yeah, like that's like that is perfect. It's like you too. I want to hang out with you guys. Like that's that's where I want to be in the Doom. Yeah, I want to hang out with Rita and Larry and be like, I wish I could be the third wheel in that relationship, or just have that because I because I you know it's it's (laughs) just have that. (laughs) Yeah, because I know a lot of people are always like, oh, you know, I want to live with my best friend. Like you know, we could be roommates. You my me and my best friend, but these aren't. These aren't best friends that became roommates. These are, uh, you know, they've been roommates for so long, and and they're best friends because of that. And if you have that kind of status with who you're living with, and you're like, I'm just, you know, completely platonic, but we live together, we've been living together for, you know, obviously been living together for decades, but... I think a very rare case is that some people actually have this kind of relationship with who they lived with. And it, it's so cool to just watch them. Uh, I mean, it might break my heart one day when they, they actually have 
something to disagree with after all these years, but mm-hmm. I I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the, and I I know for writing purposes you got to have the characters to to progress the storylines here, but I like that no one's drinking or eating in their own rooms. Like Rita has to come to the living area where the bar cart is to make yeah. the drink. And there is also where the phone is. So Larry's making the phone call there. And then, you know, when they're making food, they all have to go to the same kitchen to make yeah. food for themselves. And like, that's what I love about do manor is that these characters like have to mingle in some weird yeah. way because like they, they, they exist sit. in one house that they're, yeah. they're they're together they're living together it's the fuller house if you will yeah there's i was there's a lot of i think there's a lot of uh things we can reference <laughs> speaking of fuller house uh here we have cliff steel and cyborg who have been tagged by baby doll and uh, Dorothy with many stickers, and I really enjoy. I really enjoy. I really love like this. Like at first, I I, I love this kind of relationship that Dorothy has with Baby Doll. Like I I love that as kids they can they can be kids. You know, like I I enjoy that with the yeah. stickers and everything. Like it it's cute. Like in a yeah. very like Dorothy needs this and like a therapeutic level. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, like, it was obviously adorable when um, Niles introduced Baby Doll to Dorothy, and she's, like, you know, standing there all proper, like, a, uh, an introduction, and mm-hmm. then it's like, I like your pigtails, it's like, I like yours too. Like, that, like, kid dialogue that you can write um, from, like, the you know, the, the perspective of a childlike mind, I, I, it's so cute. <laughs> it's so damn cute. Yeah, and I think what is upsetting about it is that, like, what's upsetting about it is that Baby Doll doesn't, in in her own defense, like, in her own defense mechanisms of protecting the child again, is she's trying to eggshell Kate Chalice into, like, this is what you should be. Like, this is the exaggerated form of being a child is like. And Dorothy being a hundred and three quarters year old, but you know, technically at like eleven or whatever like that. Baby doll thinks like I have to act super childish. Like this is baby doll's personalities, like logic. Is mm-hmm. to be as 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 baby as possible. And we're talking like baby Yoda standards. Like whatever the obnoxious standard of being a a cute, adorable child is, like the personality that is baby doll is like, I have to be that. And so she's being this obnoxious form of a child on purpose, which is why, you know, Candlemaker and obviously Dorothy recognizes it too, is that like, this this person needs to chill out. <laughs> like you're like, it's like, yeah, you're a child. I get it. Like it's, we're having fun here and this is what Dorothy needs. But like, Bro, you need to chill. Like, yeah. I don't think like, that's a, a possibility, though. Because, I mean, that's Baby Doll's job is to jump, run around in circles, and play. So, like, that concept of tiring out or stop playing, don't think that exists. It's like no. you cry. It's like you're either upset or you are extremely happy and, and bouncy. Yeah. And, like, that's like, it's like a... 
as a performance. It's like the kind of person that like forces themselves to laugh when they, you know, like think they should laugh at something. Obviously it happens right here with, with you know, they show off the Wendigo, which is we finally get a name drop for the Wendigo, which is Manny. Mm-hmm. Um but which uh, that sounded so familiar to me and it sounded like there was like I was trying to look back and this is probably going to piss a lot of people off, but the name Manny, is that like from uh I feel like we called something out when it was like um maybe the title of that 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 arc was uh man uh something with man <laughs> snowman the 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 winter beast was like the we found a an, an old Arnold Drake uh doom patrol cover with the, with a winter beast on it and we thought it was that uh, it's been later described that this thing is a Wendigo, like a for real, like by definition, this thing is a Wendigo. That is a cryptic. It is a cryptid. Like it, yeah. this is an actual cryptic that we're seeing. But it, it's a cryptid. Yeah, is it yeah, a but, cryptid that's uh, like is it derived from? Is it something? Now that's a fun thing to do. Maybe cryptids are like all like. Uh, some some conjurer has to summon them, you know. That's a uh, familiars, and then that gets into like druid territory, and then I gotta get my D and D book out, and we gotta start okay, from but... page nine. <laughs> All right, I don't want to go into what did you just? Uh... <laughs> Let me roll D twenty the... and see what yeah, happens. Hang on, what was what was the word you said? Cryptid, uh, familiar. Cryptid, true, but like familiar, uh, familiar. is not the. What Manny is isn't because uh, we've called it a familiar before, but I don't think it is a familiar. Because a familiar, it is a, a familiar. No, it is a familiar. But Teakle is a familiar. T who? Physical cat. Uh, you know, witch boy's cat. Clarion. You talking about the guy from Young Justice? I'm talk yes, he's also in Young Justice, but just from comic books from the DC. Yeah, comics yeah, yeah. In general, but, but yes. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But yeah, Tico is have, uh, is a familiar, but Tico's also a demon. And it keeps the and it keeps the witch boy tethered to the physical plane type thing. tethered to that realm of, you know, earth whatever that they exist in. Uh but Manny is like a it's like a and see like that's where I hit a brick wall cuz like it's a familiar the same exact thing as a conjured uh being. No. No, yeah. Yeah. You got no. me thinking, but I'm like, yeah, it's a conjured thing. It's a conjured uh entity. And that's what, uh, because because Manny was passed from the mother to Dorothy, the child. Like, that right. was, and that, that conjured being, like, Manny knows the mother, and, and Manny yeah. knows, uh, it, it is a it is its own spiritual thing. It's a spirit that resides not with, all, within Dorothy. But not all cryptids are familiars, you know? No, just like, no, 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 just yeah. Like think of think about it like don't think about real life things, you know? Like Nessie yeah. is not a 
uh, <laughs> is nobody familiar. familiar. <laughs> yeah, but you probably could have the argument of Nessie being a conjured thing or dinosaur. <laughs> I think the Windingo thing. Well, the right? Windingo, yeah, just a dinosaur. it's it's just dinosaur. But the Windingo thing is like that's Manny is an actual Windingo, which is a cryptid. Don't say Windingo, think... just Windigo. <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> Windigo. Unless like... there was a dingo that was a cryptid, no, then that's it would be like a Windingo. That, it's like some bullshit, like Southern Quentin Tarantino type dialogue that I'm saying. <laughs> it's all about a Wendigo out there. Yeah, that's fucking awful. So Wendigo is a cryptid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I'm... I don't think uh, the friends that Dorothy can conjure are familiars. familiars. And I think I've said that in the past, but I I think that muddies the waters a little bit. I think, it, it, yeah, it is. I think it is muddy waters just because, like, Manny was passed from the mother. But mm-hmm. the mother didn't have Darling or Herschel. Those things came from Dorothy. Yeah. Manny was just passed as a cryptid because Manny is a cryptid. Manny. Yeah. If anything else, there's no denying that Manny is a cryptid. It's a Wendigo, it and but it it belonged to the mother as as a conjured spirit, and then Dorothy can conjure the same cryptid Wendigo spirit. Like that's what Manny is. You can yeah. check all those boxes for Manny, but then when you ask about uh, Herschel Darling, it's it's a little bit unsure how those came about, other than mm-hmm. just pure. Superpowered imaginary friends. Yeah. Candlemaker, different conversation. Uh, yeah. We could probably talk about that at the end of the episode or talk about it later on in the season. But Candlemaker is not an imaginary friend. And we'll leave it at that. Uh, and then the only other thing to go off about Doom Manor before we get into our next scene is just that while. Baby doll upsets Dorothy by hurting her sh- or hurting Manny. Is that Cliff and Cyborg talk about, or they talk at the kitchen, and then they decide to to go off and and to go uh, do their own adventures and stuff. Uh, the next scene is uh, Larry Trainer meeting uh, Paul's family, his, his sons and uh, his son and his grandson uh but i i I do love that rita far comes with i I absolutely love that she joins the adventure i think that's it's great to have them actually do something together instead of being separated for so long um you see like um you you notice like the the type of uh sepia-ness that goes on um with the Larry stuff, uh, mm-hmm. man, I love it. I love that shit, and I, it, it like it feels right to me because like it's uh you know the setting, uh, ruralness as well. But even before that, when like we were seeing like the 1950s flashbacks, it felt like, yeah, that tone matches. A lot of browns, a lot of natural colors, some green hues, you know, uh, army style kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's great. Uh. 
it just like keeps that same filter yeah i like that it keeps that filter and i like that uh it it feels quiet and feels yeah. like there's something about their home that it feels inviting and but weirdly isolated i think isolated Which, what, the farmhouse this one the one yeah. that, that larry's at oh yeah i mean yeah i haven't been to the, like many uh farm properties i went to tennessee one time and there was um man it was, i went to tennessee and like i stayed at these people's house and it was um you know they're on like a corn field or whatever and mm-hmm. this was literally right after i watched signs so i did not <laughs> fucking sleep at all man that was wild ended up going and playing in the cornfields and stuff like that ticks all over the place Oof, that sounds yeah. like, worse than signs. That's a sign uh, to get out of there. <laughs> yeah, it was a sign to get out of there. Um, I did like that the last, like that answer to uh, where should we, you know, Larry asked his son, you know, Paul, where should we start? And is, just goes in for the hug. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I felt good at that moment. And then Keyword, we get a, at that moment. At that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> and that's, that was like, that, put a pin that's in that. solid. Yeah, it's like, that. that is solid. Um, that's good. That's a good... That was such a uh, good place a good to answer. start. Yeah. Such a good place to start. I think, you know, uh, the fact that, that his son went and hugged him out of all the first things, because a lot of times, and especially with dudes, like, not just this story, but a lot of stories, Man, does it it take something to just hug someone at the end of the day and at the end of the episode or at the end of the movie or something to just like hug your son or wish that you did and you decided not to and now you wish you did. Mm-hmm. The fact that Paul goes and hugs him, like first things first, like let me hug my dad, like <sighs> that's a good way to start. <laughs> it's yeah. such a good way to start. And the family's so happy and everything like that. Man, it this scene right here is just such a feel good moment and I hoped that that would continue. <laughs> so we'll we'll leave it at that uh and we'll come back to it cuz we have to. Uh we're going to go to the underground now where Crazy Jane is not the primary. She's here with Hammerhead and the rest of the crew. And man, oh man, do I love the the underground. I always love coming down here. I love that, and I said it before, but like that that the underground could have its own shared universe kind of thing. Like yeah. we know the Doom Patrol and like that main cast of characters, but then Diane goes into like a subplot of Crazy Jane that is just all those characters, like Hammerhead and Pretty Polly and uh, you know Hangman's Beautiful Daughter, like all these other characters are her own world. It's almost like if Green Lantern ever had to leave Justice League and go to Oa and then there's Kilowog and, you know, Sinestro and all those people. It's just like the fact that he that, just... Uh, that, you did, that, so, like, there was a whole... In New 52... Uh, yeah, New 52 was um, the Kyle Rayner White Lantern storyline. And, dude, yeah. that was, like, some of the coolest green lantern stuff because it wasn't 
just Justice League things. It wasn't space copy. It was like, no, dude, I'm in space, man. You guys are, you have power rings. This is wild. I'm an artist and pseudo Jesus. Like that was, (laughs) it was cool to see other Green Lantern things happening that wasn't just, you know, Hal Jordan being end-all, be-all green stupid lantern. Yeah. It's cool when you get to see that they have to return to what their duties are, and as Green mm-hmm. Lantern, he has to go and do things. What's the, di- the dichotomy here is that we see the personalities don't have anything to do when they're not primary. They are hanging out at the, at the, mm-hmm. the, the, the train station, if you will. Or whatever it's called. The it's called a depot. It's on the map. You saw the, the later in the episode that shows the underground map. It's cool that like you know you have Lucy Fugue talking to Driller Bill and they're just hanging out at yeah. the stop. And uh, the train has the infinity symbol, has the driver eight symbol. I love that. That's so cool. Uh, here's here's the thing we talked about it earlier in today's episode, but. Diane has to act as a uh, baby doll. Here you get to see Diane trying to do what Crazy Jane would impersonate for baby doll. And I, what I really like this from a portrayal aspect is that you as an actor, you have to go to a certain place to become baby doll. And then when you're not in that place is what you get when it's Diane, Diane's crazy Jane making fun of baby doll and impersonating yeah. what baby doll would be doing. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, crazy Jane is like baby dolls probably up there. Like, Oh, let's play. Let's play tag. Like that's exactly the right thing to do to showcase just how deep Diane has to go for baby doll. Like, yeah, I really enjoy that you get that weird Diane's impersonating her own portrayal yeah. of a character. It's that's such the that's such a good move by range. Range. Yes. Baby. That's the range. It's so good. Man, I love that. If there was anything to take away from that scene, it's it's that moment for me. One of the other th- cool things about uh, Crazy Jane that I really liked is it's not a big deal, but in the comic book, sometimes you see Crazy Jane in the comic book, she'll have like striped socks, like those tall socks that are like all kinds of different striped colors. Like the Wicked Witch, w- Wicked Witch of the East. Wicked Witch whatever of the, the first East. One, whatever the first one was that died with the house. Yeah, that style. <laughs> yeah. You do see Crazy Jane wearing those type of socks, which I do like from, you know, if people are into comic book accuracy, you know, Crazy Jane is wearing those socks. And I, I like that. And, and maybe it's a, a baby doll thing. But yeah, that's a, to me, it's a really cool thing. I, I yeah. like that she wears those weird socks. Um, I'm trying to think when's the other time she wears them. Because I, I think it happens not with... I think it happens like it's one of the Brotherhood of Dada moments, either the first generation or the second one before he, Mr. Nobody, becomes president. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's one of the cool things. 
before the Christmas, uh, the Christmas storyline, I think is probably a better way to do it. But uh, I mean, check out Jane and or yeah, I guess Jane would be. Who picks out the outfits? The uh, the 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 Bowie, the Ziggy Stardust bolt. Mm-hmm. It's just like bang right on the shirt. I want that shirt. Give me that shirt. Uh, right now. My address is six. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, it's you're a, talking uh, about the clothes, so I was just going in on the on the. You know, I'm gonna go in. I would be. <laughs> I would be remorse if I didn't bring up the Ziggy Stardust bolt that's just on the T-shirt because that's that's something. Crazy Jane, both in the comic books and the TV shows, have outfits that I would love to wear. <laughs> I would love to wear some of the outfits Crazy Jane has. Um, and if I was cool like Cliff Steele, I'd, I'd wear stuff he wears. Oh. But I'm I'm not. I don't have the figure to be like Cliff Steele. I could Can't, I yeah. could probably rock a a, a gender bent uh, Crazy Jane, but I can't do Cliff Steele. Cliff Steele. Yeah. That's the next scene we're talking about. He's got the minor threat shirt on. He's always somebody, got like. I was gonna say huh? somebody gave me a leather jacket um, as a. A Christmas gift. I've never worn it because I. This man bought himself a leather jacket. No, 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 stop. Somebody bought it for me. Um, and this somebody was is a person that does that is into style and does do mm-hmm. that kind of arrangement for people with this, you know, own internet internet store. A photographer, if you will. Sure. Um, gave me the jacket, leather jacket, great leather jacket. Dude, the inside is like um, a, a, a nautical map of the world, like monsters be here kind of thing. Like it's, I could probably, my closet's right there. I can get it and like show it to you. But I've never worn it because I, I don't think I can pull that off. But this person obviously knew. Is like, no, this is. Uh, yeah, you can Nathan. pull it off. Like, you gotta pull it off know. with confidence. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe it's just the confidence part. Mark. I said okay. it. Okay, Johnny. Let's Johnny open up me, the door. Johnny told me that that's all it takes, and then I was watching a TV show the other day, and they said the same thing. So I don't know if I can pull this off. And says confidence is how you pull it off. Yeah, that's true. Um, Man, but like but, that that jacket, the Cliff Steel jacket, is always. Uh, been a favorite of mine like the metal um you got to put armor on your shoulder pads it's so cool um you know i always want like the the hello world shirt i want uh that that you know that he's got this minor threat shirt on i love the minor minor threat shirt i i love it so much i i think that's when i saw the stills of today's episode and he was wearing the minor shirt minor minor threat shirt i was like damn i love that and I don't know, maybe if I ever did get a leather jacket, I would put some armor on, on those shoulder pads yeah. and, and just put see like, if, yeah, I mean, it's, you're wearing an obnoxious leather jacket in the first place. You might have, might as well put some armor on it. Yeah. There's literally nothing stopping us from like adapting that like neo futuristic style in clothes mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like you get the... Uh, 
I don't know what that phrase is, whatever that word is, but like, yeah, like neo noir, not neo noir, cyber noir, <laughs> cyber noir, or neo cyber. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but yeah, like it's like you know heavy metal things that's toned down. You know, you're not wearing a giant, you know, metal cod piece or whatever, but like you got these cool ass metal shoulder pads that are on the outside of the jacket. That's mm-hmm. cool as hell. You know, that's that's one of the um, one of the aesthetics of cyberpunk that gets misplaced is the is the punk part of cyber because a lot of times with the cyberpunk genre, like it becomes too much. Uh, it becomes it becomes too much software and not enough yeah. hardware, and like so it, things, yeah, uh, like things are gonna get very uh, digital, dubstepy, yeah. dark yeah. wave, and like yes, I love Neon. that in in cyberpunk, I do, mm-hmm. but sometimes you forget how punk cyberpunk is, and you have to remind yourself that that things really are just like. Yes, it's 2020, or it might be 2077, but yeah. we are still wearing leather jackets with a friggin' hard drive attached yeah. to my shoulder because that's how I store my credit card. Like, yeah. things have to be uh, upsettingly... Crude? C- crude, like cluttery. Yeah. Like You go and, back and, to, like, that 1980s cyberpunk thing where it's just, like, yeah. you know, microchips thing like that processors yeah. <laughs> ibm i got a floppy disk inserted in my to replace all my my spinal disks <laughs> i just totally like <laughs> unintentionally did um <laughs> the departed um microprocessors <laughs> microprocessors microprocessors from mass microprocessors <laughs> Oh boy. Anyway. Um so here's probably something I've messed up on personally. Uh but this next scene is Silas uh it's a Cliff and Victor Stone go to talk to Silas Stone about getting Robot Man his his 2.0 body. Yeah. And I thought this guy was dead. <laughs> Maybe I I was in some other Mandela effect parallel universe no he beat him up almost to death he didn't kill his dad he just but I, beat yeah. the shit out of him <laughs> i saw the, the shit out of him when i saw this episode last night i was like oh this man is alive <laughs> yeah but this scene right here dude i think it's such an incredible depiction of like the differences and the differences in these people's worlds. They are now talking with Silas Stone, who is like, you know, Star Labs, Red Room, Justice League level. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, you know, everything that's happening in Doom Manor and everything like that is wacky, crazy, you know, just wild stuff, surrealism, that kind of thing. And yet when, like, they have to talk to, like, this guy, like, this prestigious man... He's out, it's a sunny day, middle of the day in a park, and he's just exercising. They didn't go to a lab where, like, they didn't go back to the Red Room. They didn't go to Star Labs. He's not, like, you know, working on, uh, you know, I don't know, Superman something. 
figuring out how to get that man in his boots. Because I don't even know how to do that. But, like, that he's just, like, exercising, walking in a park, and, like, how bright and cheerful it is when, like, we know that Silas's son is going through fucking hell right now and just in life. Like, he's... You see a father whose son is a part of the Doom Patrol and not the Justice League, you know? It's like, there's a complete disconnection there between Silas and Vic. And, I mean, like, it doesn't make you question, like, why the hell would Silas be just, like, exercising and be in such good health and, like, be so nonchalant about everything when he knows his son is going through all of these issues and stuff like that when he knows his son is this close with Niles Calder all these things and he's just like almost dismissive of Victor you know what I mean and that does go back to like Silas Stone like not seeing Victor Stone cyborg as his son and more of you know this creation this uh computer this this project it's a it 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 furthers the love hate relationship I have with Silas Stone because he loves his son enough to save him with the technology at his disposal because he does so. You know, he won't do it for anyone else. He certainly won't do it for Cliff Steele. He won't do it for anyone else. But once his son dying, he saved his son with the technology and he gave him the best that he could. Um the thing I hate about Silas, but you don't think he you you think he did that out of love and not just because he could. Obviously, there's different you know tellings with how the cyborg thing comes about, but we're sticking on you know this one with uh, him having the accident and Silas getting to work on doing that. There was an issue that it was like you know why choose Victor and not your wife kind of thing. There is like that argument um, that we did see in season one. I I do remember that being a conversation. Um, and it's so... I'm taken a little bit aback when you say that Silas Stone does that out of the love for Victor. I think it's And it's I not it's like there. an offensive way. I just never have thought of that. I never... <laughs> I never thought of the father-loving relationship of the son. I, <laughs> That's just going back to personal experience. I but, know, I know, I know. and I, And I think... I think this the writers in in all media, not just in this show or this episode or whatever comic book run you might think of Silas Stone or the movies that have Silas Stone. Yeah, I think it's always written for you to doubt that he loves his son. It's written for you to doubt. But I think there was a weirdly scientific explanation for a father's true love for what is basically the next generation of themselves. And whether that, uh, whether it's, whether it sucks that you can put that in scientific formula and not have like, it just be a magical thing that you just truly love your son. I think deep down Silas truly cares about his son and maybe it is in the shitty logical way and not in the ethical or pathological way it is just because that's 
his son that he actually cares about him. So hmm. I know like it probably in the ugliest ways he still loves his son. Like in, in that yeah. kind of like man, it's upsetting how that is the reason why you love your son. But it's like it's it's almost like you love him because it is uh property it's like you can quantify silas stone's love of victor and that's that shouldn't that shouldn't be a thing you're not supposed to quantify that love but you can with victor because you can look at him and be like look at these cybernetic enhancements and parts and work that silas did you even look at grid and like the whole uh operating system it's like you can quantify that love by just calling out the operating system is like well yeah he loved him but also he did that because he could um because he cared yeah, enough it's to like he, he's <sighs> that's where it gets hard for me because it's like did he did he care enough to or was it just something at his disposal and he knew that he could do that the fact is that he did it yes <sighs> yeah but because he didn't have, uh, he didn't have to go that far. I mean, he could have just kept his son alive, but he he went over yeah. the fence. He, you know, he he went over what he had to to to, to take care of his son. And and I think what uh, what upsets me with, with Silas Stone so much is when you see the character now, he's over here jogging in some yeah some rich park, you know, he's, 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 yeah, he's getting his fitness on. He's got his, he's got his Yeezys on. He's got his tracksuit on. He's, he's got money, you know, he's, he's hanging out with the country club. He's, and that's what bothers me the most is that, man, you just had the life beat out of you in the last season. I thought you were dead. I thought personally, I thought you were already (laughs) dead. I was surprised to see you here walking, but here he is like, No, I'm not going to help you. I'm here to get a country club yeah. on. It's like, aren't you like, uh, like, you know, isn't there anything about you where you might be like, yeah, I understand those who need help. Like as a, as a self-made African-American, you know, like, isn't there like, to me, there's just so much like, do you not see where you are and where you could be or where you have been or, you know, where you just were in season one? Like there's so many things where I'm like, Silas Stone back to being an asshole. I see fucking, there might be a connecting dots in the DC universe about these scientists. Um, not being good people like not they're not and it's like because you are in that field of science and practicality and stuff maybe like you these people are disassociated with love mm-hmm. it's uh you can even oh man you can even spin that for jor-el it's like yeah you could probably say he sent off you know the last son of krypton out of love and anything but also he's a scientist and he saw the complete potential and everything. And he laid out the exact roadmap of where that ship's going to go. Um, then you can question like, did, did you do that out of love or did you do that because you knew that this thing would survive there and be that like you obviously knew it was supposed to bridge, you know, two 
two things again. It's like it's like that kind of thing. So it's like maybe the scientists in DC Comics are supposed to be uh, not compared to the heroes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Anyway, uh, Cliff does say something. You know, he does mention um, to Silas, like, "Man, you don't break your stride," and that you know instantly the song came in my head. Ain't never gonna break. You 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 know the words. Yes. I'm not gonna go do it. Uh, my only other note for this scene in particular is is the focus pulling that happens when they stop and they have a conversation. They stop and on one side, maybe I can rewind it back just a little bit. I, you know, we'll see what happens here. But they do stop, and one of the greatest things done by the cinematographer here is you'll see the focus is on Victor. Then, you know, when Silas turns to Cliff, the focus is now on him. And it, it's and then it camera changes a different angle. The focus is on Cliff. Yeah. As soon as Silas Stone, Stone turns to camera, focus is on him. It's going to turn back to yeah. Cliff. He's going to zoom in, and the focus is going to be on Cliff. And then it's going to focus back on Silas once more as he talks to Cyborg. It's just like an amazing job done here yeah. in this moment. That was some... It's that's incredible. Some right it's like focus. Yeah. Zoom. Yeah. Cut. That's zoom, a lot of work. Cut. Zoom. That's a lot zoom. Of work. Cut. And it's like, whoa! It's yeah. incredible. That's a lot that you're doing right there, that's and great. it's flawless. <laughs> it was so it's really good. good. Um, but like the the whole thing that Silas says to both Victor and Cliff, where it's like, you know, what Niles Calder did to you was borderline manslaughter if I do <laughs> anything best. to further that like that yeah it's like but he's uh totally right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and then like you would want to say like all right yeah like Silas Stone could be a good person and like help out as a good scientist and good engineer whatever um but then you do have to realize like wait hang on like this is uh yeah, the uh, probably the Frankenstein's monster taught himself. <laughs> no one was there. There was no scientist that was like, "Oh, yeah, here you're misunderstood. Let me help you." No, that didn't happen. You know, so like that mindset of uh, abomination. I can't do anything with that because I don't uh, believe in what. <laughs> That's so hard to say that. It's like, I don't believe in your existence because you are an abomination and what... Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, Clostiel is, is yeah. an abomination. Like, he he cannot be... Which is rough. I hate that. Not I that he Clistiel, cannot be helped. I don't think that. Well, maybe he cannot be helped, but he also should not be helped because Niles doesn't... Or Silas doesn't want to get into... Uh, he doesn't want to mix the beans yeah. with the rice with Niles Calder kind of thing. Right. But that's that again is a bad person characteristic because Cliff Steele is still a person. Yeah. He is still Big Thunder. Don't know if that got picked up. Cliff Steele is still a person in a robot man body. And what Silas is doing is saying, No, I'm not going to help you as a person because the per the other guy that made you did bad things. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, you're an asshole, Silas Stone. Like, yeah, there is that 
mindset of, you know, uh, being an accessory to whatever murder that you think took place or did take place. Um, you know, but then, like, you would have a conversation with the guy. Like, let Cliff tell you, like, I just want to feel something. Like, I've been slamming my head against this wall and I can't feel anything. What's happening? I, You know, where was the... Silas has never heard Cliff say, I forgot what it felt like to stick my hand out and feel the rain. I remember doing that. But, like, if you would think, you know, if he said that kind of conversation or whatever that he had with Victor and all these things, like, would Silas change his mind? Probably not, but... Still, Silas, you're being an asshole for denying this person uh, some sort of improvement. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Like, overall, like, at the end of the day, it's just like, he is... You're not helping a... uh, You're not doing it because he's... Because Niles is not a, a good person, but, you know, neither are you. And, 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 and not helping cliff does not absolve you of being a bad person so exactly um speaking of 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 good people rather than bad people is we're here we have larry trainer helping the uh helping the trainer family if you will with the the, the keep sell and throw away piles and um mm-hmm. here you see uh, his grandson his great grandson that's larry's great grandson great grandson with the little robot man toy uh there's something that's going to show up here in a second that i really want to talk about oh yeah absolutely you know it (laughs) i have it under i have it yeah of course are you kidding dude mark larry trainer is my boy that's my guy He's that's I connect. Then you go ahead and the rushing nesting dolls. No, no, no. Go so, so like yeah, we do get the we do get the rushing nesting doll uh, shot in here, which is you know I applauded because I'm glad that you know we get to see it in this show. Um, and I don't know if you know you're. I don't ever want like a heavy-handed explanation and like direct symbolism of what that's supposed to be. It's like no, you are supposed to that's that's something that you as the reader and as the watcher are supposed to uh connect with in regards to, you know, the Larry Trainer and a character having to deal with the negative spirit and stuff like that. Yeah. So like that was always something that felt good to me where cuz like reading Grant Morrison and stuff like that, there was that uh there was a panel, can't remember what book it was, but there was a panel where Rebus does go into a thing and they do keep the rushing nesting doll. It's like that's, you know, it's it's in their room. It's like don't touch that kind of thing. It's uh, it's it's the symbolism uh behind it that you're supposed to think about as like the reader, um, that I very much enjoy when it comes to the Larry Trainer negative man character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for for those who don't understand what we're what we're talking about here, and if the rushing nesting dolls are you know something from the comics they are and what we're referring to is if you re if you have read the butterfly collector issue 23 or if you go and read issue 47 uh two issues that have been adapted in this season with pain patrol and then sex patrol both issues 23 and 47 of grant morrison's doom patrol run 
They feature a moment where Rebus is Rebus negative man is refer is is focused on Russian nesting dolls. They belong to Eleanor, who was Rebus's other half, to Larry Trainer, and he Rebus they are attracted to those Russian nesting dolls, and Rebus refers to them as a metaphor, and mm-hmm. but. The metaphor is not explained, just that Rebus says, these are a metaphor. Exactly. What that is is up to you, but Mm. the only thing Rebus says is, these are a metaphor, and what is to come? And I I love that. And you see Russian nesting dolls. I think people, when they usually do fan art, they associate, they'll have negative man, and somehow he's like holding, they're holding a Russian nesting doll or something like that. But I, I, yeah. Seeing the Russian nesting doll. One of the best things was in the... uh... Sorry, in the brick by brick storyline in the be- very beginning, when you do get the you know the the flashback of Larry Trainer, um, he's calling out and like he looks back at his co-pilot, you know, that's uh, in the dream sequence or whatever. It's Russian nest and all sitting there. It's like, hey, oh, yeah. And then it's it, you know it has a panel of Larry. It's like ah, oh, like what did I just look at? Kind of thing like that absurdity. Mm-hmm. Is just it's just perfect. Yeah, I I'm looking forward to seeing if they do anything more with that or or whatnot. But man, I, I, if you just have it here, if this is it right here, I'm 100 percent happy. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a cool thing, and I I'm glad that they included it, and I'm looking forward to to see, seeing more uh, more from it. Um, the the next scene that we're going to be talking about is not from the comic books, but man, is this a cool concept? Oh yeah. Uh, this is the this is the uh, steel and stone hour, if you will. And first of all, one of the cool things about this, I I think a lot of people are now asking jokingly, of course. I don't think it would ever become a real thing, or maybe a comic book one-off of anything but like people are asking for this this spin-off to happen of steel and stone <laughs> which would be cool and you know we've talked about this a lot i i don't think we we forgot to mention this at the beginning of the episode but when we started doom patrol and, and we knew cyborg was going to be part of the doom patrol we were like oh well, cyborg is very much like robot man he is a robot man he's He's a person who's been injured and he's been turned into a robot. And this is this is the episode that probably puts that connection closer than ever without without shoving your face into it. You know, then you know, like, look at how similar we are. They do it in such a tasteful way of being like, hey, you made cyborg. How about you make my new body? And Silas is like, mm-hmm. nope, bye. And then with this yeah. right here, it's like steel and stone. It's like, hey, that is cool. I'm glad we're finally getting that kind of relationship or that shipping of the two characters in a way that like they can hang out. I I, I really like yeah. that they're just going into that. Like, hey, steel and stone, let's do it. Let's go fight some bad guys and stuff like that. It's all, Exactly. It's also a really cool thing that uh, we don't get to see much in this show because of the settings that they always go through. 
But in the comic books, a lot of times Doom Patrol, and I, I speak mostly with the Grant Morrison and Rachel Pollock run, is that sometimes Cliff and Crazy Jane are just in the city and stuff happens in the city. And they're in like an actual city, like uh, greasy, you know, built tall buildings and like they're in the downtown area, like tall buildings, like it, it very much looks like you're just like in the downtown area. I like this idea because it's, you get to see the Doom Patrol members in the city, like in this, like inner city, you know, I don't know yeah. how else to explain it, but like, I like that concept that they can just go into the city. Like I know they're here in Detroit, Michigan, but I like yeah. that. I like seeing that, you know, I sometimes it wears off when they're always like in Paraguay or they're in the underground or they're, you know, like mm -hmm. they're always in like these weird exotic locales that in the comic books, it's really nice when they're just in downtown Detroit and like, you have yeah. Robot Man and, and Crazy Jane, and they're just, like, in a coffee shop in the downtown streets. Like, I like that. I really think that's a cool, like, setting for them. And and to see yeah. that with, with Cliff and Cyborg just sitting in a car in Detroit, like, to me, I love those moments. Yeah. It goes back to, like, since, I mean, you and I are on the same page here, because when it goes, you know, because we do have have had so much exposure exposure to like the fantastical uh justice league superman wonder woman that type of uh storytelling that is big and it has to be big all these things but like when you get down to like the street level and street team kind of thing like the defenders from marvel i love the defenders because they are just you know, well, really, heroes for hire, because they are just that. They were the, you know, people that just went around to telephone poles stapling a flyer that says, lost your purse? Call Danny Rand. Like, that's, <laughs> I love that shit. And the fact that, like, yeah, Danny Rand and Power Man could be walking down the street in full costume, and people are just like, yo, like, high-fiving them, and, like, they know, it's like, yeah, man, you're, it's like that Spider-Man treatment, the friendly neighborhood yeah, hero absolutely. type thing. I love that. And then when you do get Victor and, and Cliff just sitting in the car, which, by the way, Victor has a Camaro or a Charger. Like, what he's, got, he's, got a, he's, got, he's got a car. Victor has a car. Victor can have a car. He's a, uh, he's a really good athlete, and his, his dad is... Uh, well, he's he's well off. I get that, but like, I mean, is he is he parking that car in like the carport at Doom Manor? You know, <laughs> it's like he's anyway. I just like it, but like that idea of like seeing those two people in a car, just in a parking lot in Detroit, and um, even back you know before when they were in the park, no one's like running away from them. It's like the idea of um the the general populace being so diffused to this to the idea of metahumans mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah. you know cuz we always you always get it shoved down your throat of look up in the sky bird or plane that kind of thing where it's oh batman's just a uh 
what do they call it? But that's Batman. Rumor. Yeah. Yeah, but like it's that same thing. Mm-hmm. It's that same thing, you know? But then when you get these characters and you could just put them on the street and no one's like questioning that. Yeah. No one is questioning their existence or why they're there or anything of the yeah. sort. That's golden. Yeah, me. one of the, uh, like I, I said it the other day, but like one of my favorite moments uh, in in the Grant Morrison run is, is Crazy Jane being like, I need a book. And she like walks through that library window. And Cliff is just like, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Just, just superheroes. <laughs> and and she mm-hmm. she walks through the the window. And she goes, "Ow, should have thought of that." <laughs> and it's like yeah. that to me is is so cool that they that they have those issues. Um, and I, and I really I really do like that. I think it's such a a cool concept. Uh, one of the other one of the other things I liked about this scene is that. Cliff Steele is actually right about something in this moment. And I I knew what he was saying was right, but I was hoping that it wouldn't backfire. And it didn't, which I'm like, it's like it's like a yeah. victory for, for me and Cliff. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And so um, Victor is like, what should I do to make up with, with Ronnie? And, and Cliff is like, listen... <laughs> he says it in, in a much more charismatic way, but he's like, you got to go in there and you got to tell her, I, I'm stupid, I fucked up, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. dude. Because he was like, I've been with a lot of women, and this is how you do it. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that is how you do it. You have to completely admit that you're a total fuck up. <laughs> yeah. But you do have to go a little bit beyond than saying sorry. Well, yeah, like points of recovery for sure, but <laughs> now we're having our now you're getting a peek into our real conversations. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man! There is a storm of brewing outside of my house. There's lightning going. Hopefully, I don't lose power. Yeah. Here, uh, and, and this is a weird one for me, as I, I didn't know Crazy Jane would regain her primary, but we're in, in the next scene, we see Crazy Jane now making uh, a, a kitchen sink sandwich, if you will. A, uh, what is it? What is it? A, a Dagwood type sandwich? Dagwood? Is that what it's supposed it's to be? It's not a Dagwood, because like his... apparently a Dagwood is like literally a uh, fish skeleton. All kinds of things. Lasagna. Dagwood is just Egg like rolls. yeah, it's like whatever you you have, yeah. The, um, uh, half a McChicken is going in the sandwich. Is it called a kitchen sink sandwich because it's like you're throwing everything in except the kitchen sink? Is that what that comes from? That term? Yeah, everything but the kitchen sink. Everything but the kitchen sink, except for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. The battle over Coruscant has a kitchen sink in orbit, um, if you didn't know that. And that is because there is so much going on over Coruscant, including the kitchen sink. I'm going to say yes, because my internet broke up. <laughs> oh my god, did you not hear anything that I said? Dang. You were probably it's talking okay, about episode 3, Revenge of the Kitchen Sink, or something like that. So I'll, I'll Very say yes. good! So yeah, I it was. is exactly like that. Um, is it still breaking up? I think it's breaking up. 
No, you're fine. It might be it might be both of ours, man. There's I, I think like it might be me. Lightning storm. Um but I don't uh, what I will say about this scene is just that at the time and and now rewatching it makes me in the mood for a really mm-hmm. good sandwich. I haven't had a a deli Dude. meat sandwich in a very long time because I've been eating very plant-based yeah. and vegetarian lately. But I, I saw her making just, and you're you're supposed to think like it's it's not much like a very humble sandwich, but I'm like, I want to eat that sandwich. I would I would eat those slices yeah. by themselves, because I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I really want. That's a good, uh, relaxing thing. I hate the pre- uh, I hate the steps right before it, like. Deciding that I want the sandwich, what kind of sandwich, seeing if I have everything in the fridge. But once it's all gathered, like everything that was on Jane's tray and she was taking it over and like making, that's the moment that I find complete bliss. I love making sandwiches. That's a fun thing. And then you get to, man, you get to hold it and it's a good complete sandwich. You're like, dang, look at this thing. This is great. Yeah. Look at this. Look at this thick sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing better than making your own sandwich and making it like, especially once you become like, once you start finessing it and you're like, I'm going to add oil and vinegar to my sandwich. I'm going to put some oregano on this. Like I'm going to, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually going to enjoy mayo on a sandwich. And then you like, you get into it and you start stacking that thing up and man. Do you normally not enjoy mayonnaise? I used to not as a, I'm, I'm white. So this is like. Blasphemy. Well, I guess the Hispanic in me is putting mustard instead. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm a mayo. Uh, the combination of mayo and mustard is phenomenal Together? to me. I'll even, I'll yeah, I'll most of the time my like basic sandwich that I'm making, where it's like, ah, quick, I gotta get something to eat. It's you know, uh, bread, turkey, white meat turkey, usually oven roasted, um, mayonnaise, mustard, and a slice of lettuce. Um, if I have pickles, yeah, I'll throw it on there. But a lot of times I don't have pickles because I eat them fast. Uh, but it's like just like those, you know, just mayonnaise, mustard, lettuce, turkey. The four things. And I'm good, you know? Yeah, yeah you throw some like salt and pepper and stuff in and spice it up and whatever. But uh, yeah, the mayonnaise-mustard combination is, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I like it. I'm a fan of it. Yeah, my thing has been the 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 oil and vinegar thing on sandwiches. Like, I can't do that. It makes it too. I think what they call like I don't know. It's oil, vinegar, salt, pepper, oregano. Mm-hmm. Those five things yeah. together. You throw it on your sandwich, and it is like it's basically salad dressing. Like I make my own. I make my own yeah. vinaigrette now, which is basically just that. It's just like oil, vinegar, yeah. garlic, salt, pepper and the exactly. Italian herbs and it's like man just put that on your sandwich and it's you're ready to go I'm living now the only I've um the I just have oh, I've always had bad experience with that because every time I do in the past the times that I've had to do like the oil vinegar the, that that combo mm-hmm. it's been at a place not me doing it so I mean I it, yeah it tastes phenomenal but I'll get three, four bites in or whatever, and then towards the end, it's it's the sogginess, and it's like that is not appetizing to me. It's oh, like, oh, I I love it when it gets like, soggy. I can, but I'll <laughs> I see like I can't 
I can't do the soggy, like the vinegar no, soggy. No, yeah, I, I love that. Oil soggy, I can. Vinegar soggy, I can't. I can't do that. There's a Hispanic But dish. like ketchup or, or uh, mayonnaise mustard soggy, yeah, I can do that, but not vinegar soggy. And I don't know, maybe I just have like an, a, a weird thing about vinegar. I don't know. Yeah, because... Because I love it, because I I love bread getting soggy with with vinegar, and there's a there's a there's a Hispanic dish is a pan con bistec, is bread with steak, and like what ends up happening is you cook off steak and like oil and vinegar and like these sautéed onions, and there's so much of that jus left over that you you end yeah. up just like you have your sandwich that's just a, a flat steak with with the grilled onions and you dip it back in that oil and vinegar and the bread is soaking yeah. up the- like an au jus sauce did you say au yeah jus? but it's not it's not au jus like how most people think of like that that dark beef the stock balsamic like that yeah. beef stocky kind of au jus it's oh, just yeah. like it's a more vinegary au jus it's just oil and vinegar really it's mostly vinegar and you're dipping it in that and like that cuban bread is just really soaked up in that that stuff and you're like man i love that and so a lot of times it's like i'll cut the bread and i'll just leave it in there like both sides cut like laying in there and then you put this in and it's like it's just a soggy bread sandwich mess i mean well like i can do the oil soggy like i'll take you know french bread italian bread white whatever uh and you dip it in like the uh you know the the, uh, olive oil and oregano uh, mixture you know that's just like what you do you know it's just like the basic like oil dip you just get the you know splash the evoo you get the yeah. you get the oregano in there you put some other complete seasoning in there and it's like you just go to town that is solid to me i like that i think it's just a vinegar thing i think i don't because there would be a time where like too much barbecue sauce is way too barbecue sauce for me and it's not barbecue sauce at that point it's like more ketchup yeah. And that's such a turnoff because yeah. that's like just vinegar. It's tomato vinegar. It's like I don't want any part of it. Yeah, even ketchup can be like that. Sometimes ketchup yeah. itself can be too vinegary or it can be too sugary. And I'm like, you people eat this stuff? Uh, it's <laughs> taken me a long time to to love ketchup again. And man, ketchup can really put you off. Like you can have one bad experience yeah. with ketchup and you're like, fuck ketchup, man. It's, yeah, you really can. Absolutely. So thank you guys for listening to us talk about sandwiches. We promise we're moving on now. Uh, but if you enjoyed it, let us know because we can talk sandwiches all day. Yeah, we'll start a new show. <laughs> Speaking of starting a whole new show, uh, here's the Steel and Stone clip, which I guarantee you someone was like, we need to do this, even though it has no reason to be in this show. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is cool. I'm glad oh, they yeah. did this. This is fantastic. I think in hindsight, they're at some point they were probably thinking they're really letting us do this. They're really letting us film this bit <laughs> because it has no weight on the story or anything. Uh, they're just—it's. I mean, it's like that whole like concept of just what if, uh, Elseworld style. Um, you know, let's put Cliff Steele and Victor Stone in. Uh, Columbo buddy cop type 1970s show, uh, Starsky and Hutch esque. And it's just, you got it down. Everything is down. Everything's down. You get Cyborg with the afro, like New Teen Titans style. Perfect. 
Yeah, that's a, that, when I first saw this promo stuff, I was like, oh, is this like it, it's weirdly like an homage to like Cyborg's original, like mm-hmm. just like that he was kind of made in this era of like I don't want to say black exploitation, but you know, like there's this it feels almost like it's paying an homage to like the origins of the comic book character being created at the time. Mm -hmm. And I know it's all like just one big joke here, but like there's something I would like to see more of. And it's like, would you like to see more? And I'd be like, yes, I'm clicking yes on this. Um, Yeah. There's no, no, I mean, yeah, it's on like a broad view of it. Yeah. It's, you know, a a joke, a, a bit, but um, Look at him wearing this sweater. It's everything right. It's yeah. It hits every single point. Like this is, <laughs> man. I'd buy this show. And one of my favorite I'd parts. Buy this pitch. One of my favorite parts is that you see all these these scenes, and, and because the robot man suit is is a practical suit, is like you have robot man's like clunkiness in the comedy of it all, and and it works out so well uh yeah here's uh here's writer shoshana sachi's cameos right here the writer of today's episode as a police officer i believe that's her yeah right here in the hallway so that's cool i love that and yeah it's it's like the cigarette sticking out of cliff's mouth yeah here's niles calder with the afro it's Man, it's like I it's hard to put into words that how fantastic this bit was and the work that it was put into it and all of it. It's just everything is so goddamn good. My favorite part everything. is right here. The robot the, man, him running fast. Him running on the treadmill to like run fast and it's like you know like like in in universe TV production way because like they're not yeah. hiding it they're not like trying to make it make sense it really is like whoever is filming this TV show within the show is like yeah he has to run on a treadmill because he cannot so it's like he's doing the superimposed like I'm moving my arms to mimic that I'm yeah. moving fast the six million dollar man style yeah. type thing where it's just oh man I love that <laughs> it's so good it really is just so solid um and the fact that it's just like existing all in cliff's head like that is it, it just fits so perfectly that this guy that's you know a robot person is just sitting in a car waiting for his buddy to have sex he's just like you know doing like <laughs> like that kind of like just mindset is just so perfect. I love it so much. Man. And like I know the um, music is supposed to paint this this him beating up the muggers as like a, a a strange scenario where he's like where it's almost like, oh, something bad is gonna happen. But there's yeah. just something cool about him actually fighting crime in this moment that I really like where he's or like wanting to fight crime, yeah. like having that, have, having that idea of like and that passion of like, you know, I can do something. Like we can, we can do this, and also like the idea of 
the mind of Cliff Steele trying to uh, make amends within himself of, you know, he's realized I'm a bad person. I was a shitty dad, like, uh, you know, in a couple episodes ago. It's like, damn, I thought I was trying my best. I thought I was a good dad, but shit, I guess I wasn't kind of thing. And then him being like, well, like, we can do good. Like, we can do things. And, you know, obviously being paired with Vic and being like, yeah, I used to patrol these things. Like, you know, Vic was whatever type of officer, I don't even know, deputized <laughs> thing that he was yeah. in Detroit. Um, which that's, I would want to know, that's logistics that I want to know. What channels did Victor Stone have to go through? Or did he just end up, you know, going on the street and stopping people with the sonic cannon? Or is he deputized? Or what's the difference between him and the Titans? That kind of thing. I need to know legal issues when it comes to these people. Yeah, I think there's a um, question for that's where Maxwell Lord Dick Grayson, because he was a detective in Detroit. And Titans takes place yeah. in Detroit, and he was a detective. So it's like... I don't know, like, because Silas was putting him up for getting signed up for the Justice League after his surgery, and that's one of those things where it's like, go go fight, fight crime, lower the crime rate, uh, cyborg, and or I guess raise it. It's always a weird thing where you're like, <laughs> whatever. When crime is actually recorded, it goes up because you're creating those statistics. I don't know. That's some that's some fucked up crime cop crime stuff that I gets into a deeper issue. It's horrible. I do want to bring about though um, when right before Cliff, you know, when he notices the uh, carjackers, you know, trying to break into the, the you know the car and everything like that, and it's a and it's a current a reoccurring thing. Cliff has this, like, psych-up thing that he does where, like, he just, like, kind of, like, like this, like, mantra that he repeats because he did it when he pulled up to his daughter's house and he did the whole, (laughs) and, like, it's, like, just an auditory, I don't know. Is that, like, like the equivalent of, like, taking a deep breath, like, okay, we got to do this, like, that kind of thing. Because um, he does it again in the car, and he's just like, and he like, and it's more of like a mumble. It sounds almost like a, like a mantra, like a, t- to me it did. But it's, it, he, he does it, he does it before Cliff goes and tries to do something good. It's like he just has to, and then it like cuts. It's like, this is, that's good. I don't know what that is, but I absolutely love it. I guess I wouldn't really, uh, uh, I wouldn't know what, and maybe I relate to Cliff Steele a lot, but like, I wouldn't know how the brain would talk and think differently. Like, how does the brain Oh yeah. go, like, what the fuck? Mm. But then in my inner yeah. thoughts, I'm going, what the fuck? And does the what the fuck in my brain go out when I think think? Do my yeah. thoughts, are my thoughts the words that come out of his mouth at the same time? You know, like, yeah. It, it, does the man have a filter in place? Can he be like... Yeah, I don't think. In his mind, he can be like, uh... But, like... Don't say that out loud. It, I don't think that happens. I don't think that occurs. I think every thing that's associated with, like, speech or gets transmitted into audio, it just happens. Yeah. You know, because he's like, uh, you know, we see, we do see Cliff like by himself where he's pacing and, you know, he's like talking to himself and all these things, which 
I guess you would attribute to that being uh, the inner thoughts of a human. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't how did they do inner, inner thoughts, thoughts for him? Exist. I don't think they exist for Cliff Steele. I I don't think there are inner thoughts. I think everything is re- relayed through audio. Yeah. Whatever thought it is. There's maybe. no way you maybe. Because obviously, if you have a human character, and they're having inner thoughts, they're just like. And they're tight-lipped and, you know, nothing's moving. It's just, you know, you could tell it's an inner thought. But with Robot Man, it's like, his mouth don't move anyway. So how am I supposed to know (laughs) if he's talking or not? Like, it just looks the same. So I don't know if he is capable of just having thoughts to himself. Um, The the, the takeaway, though, for this this scene is that, you know, he he does manage to... uh, get a finger out of he's <laughs> he stops the carjacking is one and he cuts off this guy's finger on in the in the car door which i love the slams it the the pocket shot like you could tell like, oh yeah that was incredible that's like some lord of the rings stuff where they're like we're just gonna put this that's big like some ring. tarantino shit yeah it's like that that tr- it's a trunk shot but it's a pocket shot or like Writing the we're gonna put the big ring in the snow and it's gonna be a close up shot, but really it's just the perspective stuff, you know. It's like a perspective shot. Yeah. So this is Glenn Winter. You're doing a fantastic job. Um, that 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 shot with with the finger dropping into into that pocket uh, <laughs> has one of those transition shots of like. The hot dog like falling on the grill is similar to like what is it I saw the other day where like someone goes to like take a oh it's Kong Skull Island where Kong is about to like eat a soldier and then it like cuts to someone biting into a sandwich you mm-hmm. know it's like one of those shots and I re- this uh, this is probably the most Rita Far of Rita Far scenes. <laughs> She's just drunk. She's got this flask on her. Holding the flask. Yeah. Yeah. She's going to town with it. It's so awkward. Man, I love this. She gets the part, though, in the end. From the audition that she did, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because now she's, like, you know, complaining about, you know, what she just went through with the community center audition and everything like that um it'll be great to see how it is like what the audition or what what you know if if this is a story that'll progress like i want to see far's return to acting i want to see i want to see rita far's return to acting yeah um i love her flip phone that she has a flip phone yeah that was my thing i was like this she has a phone (laughs) Yeah, she's got a phone, which is cool in and of itself. It's great that, you know, (laughs) with her own phone number, that's the thing. (laughs) It's like, but she is still a person. It's not like, you know, they're they're still living lives uh, in Doom Manor kind of thing. It's not like they're in a psych ward or anything like that, closed off from society. It's like they still do have to lead their own lives. Um. But yeah, man, I just love the flip phone. I love that feeling. Um, I felt it 
you know, uh, feeling and holding it up to your ear kind of thing, and just like and and the and the clicking when you're when you're done closing it and everything. I just love that. Anyway, it's my flip flip phone bit. So here's our next scene, which is going to be the uh, the the Gary or I'm sorry the the Paul and and Larry Trainer, and this scene is. You know, when I talk about upsetting, how upsetting this episode is uh, towards the end, what happens with Larry and Paul is very upsetting. And it's it's going to be more upsetting when we go back to Baby Doll and um, Dorothy. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, I understand it, but I don't understand it because... This is his son who just hugged him in that scene earlier in the episode, right? Yeah. How are you hugging your dad, who's also just come out as gay, which I I love that. But, like, this man said, you know, I contacted the government about you. Yeah. What the fuck? I don't Uh, don't know how to talk. I mean, like, he was... That's just who. That's who that person is. Um, you know, it's like he's he is a military man, so like that whole like mindset of uh, uh, control, maybe um, trying to keep status quo of whatever the hell you think it is. Um, but yeah, the, so like going back to the hugging, it's fake. You know, it's, uh, this guy obviously can act. <laughs> he can, uh, what, what do you, what do you call it? Um, great actor, know, it's an illusion. Yeah. yeah, it's an illusion of acceptance and like, you know, that whole thing. Cause this is the son that wasn't, you know, sitting up. At, you know, at the bed and, and, and doing the conspiracy theories and, and all this stuff. Like, it wasn't the guy that was longing for the lost dad and believing that, you know, you, you could, Larry still is alive. It was his wife and his other kid. You know, that was Gary and his wife. And, and, and it seems like uh, this time around, like, it's just, he did his, he did his thing. Uh, he went into the military. He served his country. That, yeah, thinking that it's like I'm going to honor my hero dad, but uh, you know, misplaced idea right there. Um, and then yeah, trying to like go back to like play by the rules, and <sighs> there's no, there's just no love. You know, it's this not is some like, hail like, go back to it. Like, he, shit. Yeah, like he wasn't the one that kept the. Uh, you know, remnants of the plane in the barn. He didn't subscribe to the conspiracy theories. He didn't do any of that stuff. Um, you know, skeptical of it all, even until you actually see Larry Trainer standing in front of you. Then it's like, you know, he explains it. It's like I had questions. I had to go to the government and found out that you had escaped this thing. Not even like a. Why did you escape? Not even that. Not even asking for any of this. Not giving anybody an inch. Just like immediately assuming what you're doing here is wrong and you need to get locked back up as your experiment or whatever the hell this, you know, his son thinks he's doing. It's rough. 
Um, it's rough. Bad dude. It's so rough. It's it's so messed up. And 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 you know, like I think I even had this thought at some point on on Time Patrol, but I was like, he was so decorated, and it made me think of the guy who committed suicide when when they released the butts at, uh, on Cyborg Patrol, the episode in the ant farm, and I was like, this man is so decorated, and like, you know, like, to be so deep with the federal government that couldn't the ant farm still be, like, operating in some capacity, and I totally excused it. I was just like, he's just, I, I like the whole military part of Paul like went out the window for me. I never even thought twice about it. And yeah, then it comes until back, it, you know, it, it, yeah, yeah. Until at the end, where it's like, oh man, you, that's not, it's not what you're supposed to do. Once, um, yeah, once I came around to get like in this episode, I was like, oh, the ant farm is back. The Bureau of Normalcy yeah. is back. Like, I was like, oh my god, probably the least they're like the team rocket of this doom patrol where it's like it's not that you find them threatening so much just so intolerable and annoying and it's like like the fact that they still have like a a warrant you know to try the fact that they're still like looking for captain larry trainer that's like that's such a good thing where it's you know the 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 bad guys that are just like you know on your tail or whatever you know you're the, the runaway fugitive where Interpol is you know after you or whatever and you slip up because you showed up on an ATM footage. Um, it's cool. It's really cool, but one of the best things happens out of this man. He releases the negative spirit. The negative spirit. Negative spirit thing. release. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's getting their superpowers Which is controlled. Fantastic. Uh, everyone's using that. Yeah. Getting you is get the re- keyword. Getting. Yeah, and you get really working on the, it. The blocking the bullet. Yeah. Yeah, her that was bulletproof. I mean, it was kind of gross, but it's, it worked. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? What else are you gonna? How else do you depict that? I mean, that was a joke, but it was like it's just like. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of gross, but it, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um. I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, Stray Bullet hit the kid, but or not the kid, the son, the Dex. The other guy. The uh, the other guy. Larry Trainer's grandson, but Paul's the grandson. Fa- yeah. Paul's son. And the yeah. and the and the grand and the great grandson or Paul's grandson's father. Or yeah. great great grandson's uh uh great this the grandson there yeah. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I do very much enjoy that Larry Trainer is not, um, you know, the one that just like goes completely limp after the negative spirit leaves him. Um, that's that's fun. That's great. I'm very curious if we're going to learn more about the negative spirit and like if we will get the uh, Keeg name drop and everything like that and and look into it as an alien species. Curious. I'm not saying that I'm hoping for that. I'm just curious if that's what's going to happen later on. My, um, my... But like, as of right now, like what what just happened with Larry Trainer and the Negative Spirit? Like this uh, dichotomy that they do and the fighting style of Negative Spirit release come out and just like do the circle around everybody and just you know disable and 
what what have you to everybody just flying through them, picking them up and flying away. Like that is that's that's negative man. I love that. Yeah, he's he's this is comic book negative man. Like this the, like at least the negative spirit release and him actually being successful and stopping a bunch of bad guys like yeah. They're getting there in in some capacity. And I think I think the Gerard Way stuff is going to happen in a later season. Right now there's talks that they're going to film the second half of season two and season three together to like not to not to not to Pirates and Caribbean the thing where it's like, oh, we film both at the same time because they're conjoined, but more so that because of the pandemic that they'll just go ahead and film it all together because hey which, which pirate movie was filmed at the same time uh two and three dead man's chest really? and world's end yes they filmed them at the same time yeah yeah whatever <laughs> um so I, dead man's chest is a great movie great movie great movie First one's better, but great movie. Uh, it's like, yeah, hang on. Well, no, mm. the first one's better because I think the, I think you're right. It's just the argument is Bill Nye. Like that is that is the argument. But Captain Barbosa. No, yeah, Jeffrey Rush as Captain Barbosa is fantastic. What they did to the character later on and with the movies, terrible. But Barbosa, yeah. absolutely. That's like that is a pirate movie ghost story thing tell bill nye he was born to play (laughs) davy jones but like that's bill nye sir bill nye you were born to play davy jones (laughs) that's such a good davy jones anyway neither here nor there nor there um sorry we do come back after after larry or after the negative spirit is successful in taking larry and rita away the kid's not a part of that, right? The great grandson wasn't. No, didn't get scooped up. I, yeah, okay. and I guess my my I thought I thought he did. My 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 last point for that for that for that scene was that I, I, that I think that Gerard Way's stuff is probably a good stuff to talk about in the next season. Like mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I hope we get to you know. Not that I want it to force itself to talk about it, but if we could talk about it later, it would be cool to talk about. And I'm like. I think there's, I think Gerard Way wrote it. His Doom Patrol run is feels like a sequel, so it feels likely that it could be a later seasons thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that way we can talk about the Grant Morrison stuff more, or really to talk about the Rachel Pollock stuff because that Rachel Pollock stuff gets thrown, uh, it gets forgotten real quick, and. Um, and then people talk about uh, the the 2001 run and the 2009 run and stuff like that. That yes, we can talk about that stuff as well. Um, but what I really like about Rachel Pollock is that Dorothy kind of like has to take over as Doom Patrol leader, and I I, I would really like to see something like that, and um, that could really fit in well with. Uh, Gerard Way stuff and 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 with what they're doing with Candlemaker here because Candlemaker is this season's villain. Um, mm-hmm. So let's get into it. So 
Uh, here's where there's a dispute with Baby Doll and Dorothy. And I I kind of wondered this with Baby Doll in the beginning, but I was like, you know, we, we know the superpowers that these personalities have, but I didn't know the personality, or I didn't know the superpower that Baby Doll had. Mm-mm. So when she first showed up in the episode, I was like, what is her superpower? Because I know, like, Lucy Fugue is, like, the electricity, or, like, you could say, like, uh, you know, I think Hammerhead is just pure super strength. But stuff like, you know, with different... Uh, who else am I thinking? Like, Karen has, like, mind control. Karen has yeah. mind control. So does Dr. Harrison. Dr. Harrison or has... Persuasive. Very persuasive. Persuasion. I'm trying to like I'm trying to think like of all of them now without getting too much on a tangent, but yeah, with Baby Doll, I was like, "What is hers?" And then it's like, "Oh, I guess yeah. she has telekinesis, apparently." Yeah, which is, I think I need to think about that more. I don't like think how that relates to that character, if it does. I don't think it does. I think they could just have like a weird superpower associated with the personality. But and then and then it brings up more questions like because there's so many other superheroes that we don't or so many other super personalities that we don't know what exactly they do because Driller Bill like drills and bills like Driller Bill like apparently does a lot of drilling construction work and And, tax bills yeah paying paying taxes and stuff like that. But is there a superpower associated with with that character in Penny Farthing? Do we see what what Penny Farthing's superpower is and stuff like that? Yeah. Hangman Hangman's beautiful daughter paints things that those those paintings come to life. Um, and then, uh, you know, like sometimes I even wonder what is Crazy Jane's superpower. Like, I don't even know what Crazy Jane's superpower is other than just being primary. Like, there's so many times where I'm like, I, I understand this is a different personality, but what do you do that is different? Like, what is, I know your personality, but what is the superpower associated? So I'm always curious to see those things. Um, in this scene, in this in this very upsetting scene, is is, is that Manny, I think, is killed? Yeah, and I put a question mark on that because I I'm not sure. I I don't know either because obviously you know I don't know the exact uh, extent of of Dorothy's conjuring abilities. Um, yeah, it's very upsetting. I even got upset before when Baby Doll like did, did, uh, scratched him on the nose or whatever the hell she did. Um, that like brought about this 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 tension to begin with. Um, that sucks. Like that just yeah. Like, it's it doesn't suck in the show. It sucks me thinking about it. Me and it yeah. sucks my feelings. <laughs> like as like, a as a pet I don't owner like or as an animal yeah. lover. And I don't like calling my own pets pets. I call them like you know I call them my children or something like stupid like that. Yeah. Oh, but man. I'm like if someone yeah. someone like uh you know I don't know scratch my dog or something like that. I'd be like. Bro, what the fuck? <laughs> Rage quit. <laughs> I I asked you to be polite. <laughs> it's like a, yeah. I'm gonna fucking hurt you. You hurt my damn dog. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you hurt my cat. I mean, my cat will hurt you first, but like, like, bro, don't. T- no, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you <laughs> if you if you hurt my cat. I am not even. I'll go to jail for that animal, and they'll be like, and that court, they'll be like, you realize you're going to jail because you, you know, you, it's a cat, and be like, absolutely, get yeah. the fuck out of here, send me to jail. Be like, yeah, yeah I stood that. my ground against the yeah. person who hurt my fucking cat, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it again. I'll come after you exactly. right now. Yeah, <laughs> take these cuffs off me. I'm jumping over his couch. I'll beat the fuck out of that bailiff right now. <laughs> it's like I don't give a fuck as my fucking cat. But yeah, yeah. this uh this uh Manny belonged to Dorothy's mother. This is this is this is her mother's familiar or whatever you want to call imaginary friend conjuring beast or whatever. And I don't even think it was Baby Doll who killed Manny. I think it was I think it was Sun Daddy who killed. Yeah. Uh, well, there's two of them. There's Sun Daddy, and then there's the other one. I, th- I think it's actually the other one. It's the other one that they mention in in like the either the first or the second. I think it's the second episode of Doom Patrol, season one. They mention the other character. I'm forgetting her name. Their name. Um, no, this is Sun Daddy. But that at least if you if you type in right now right now a day after or whatever day this is that we're recording uh, the episode's out if you type in Sun Daddy Doom Patrol you do get a screenshot of this flame entity Really What did you type you typed in Donkey Patrol Oh are you watching this you watching looking at my screen here Yeah I can see you're sharing your screen I know, but I'm trying to see because when Cyborg and Robot Man they they meet Jane and there's a different bunch of di- bunch of different personalities. The first that so from this fandom page, they do give Sun Daddy the uh, first appearance of the pilot. Hmm. And we can edit all this out. I don't give a shit. But like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so what's weird about this page also is that it's not updated to the fullest because it gives appearances of Season 1, Pilot, Puppet Patrol, Doom Patrol Patrol, Season 2, Sex Patrol, just mentioned, and it has not been updated to incorporate um, Finger Patrol. See, I think there's two different fire tell. personalities. So I can look down. I can. We can look at the uh, altars right now. Flaming Katie is the personality I'm thinking of. Flaming Katie, only described as Katie, is one of the interview tapes between Jane and Doctor Calder. Yeah. The personality is said to have first shown up. When Jane wanted to try on some new clothes and Katie shoplifted against her wishes. In the comics, Katie is a pyrokinetic. On the show, Katie emerges as a woman made of living fire. She doesn't like being interrogated and is one of Jane's more antisocial personalities. I think it's not Sun Daddy because Sun Daddy yeah. is, a, is a human body, no fire. Sun for a head. Yeah. Sun for a head throws sun fireballs. 
That's it. Um, Flaming yeah. Katie so, like, is like flame on Johnny Storm shit. Um, and I think so. Someone needs to. I think we need to call them out on this one because I think this right here is this is Flaming Katie. Who, yeah. So like, if you can see. Yeah, I see. Jesus Christ! If you see that. Oh, that's that's got cool colors on it. That's, that's a really cool spectrum thing that's going on, right? But like, if you can see that's the, the um, oil and grease on your webcam, sir. No, that's Sun Daddy. Yeah, that's, yeah, because like Sun you Daddy. see, that's the sun is ahead, but then like the body is um, fishnet arms or like a tank top with with fishnet arms. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like that. It's it's a uh, crazy Jane's actual wardrobe. It's just the the head is now a sun. Like the outfit is the same, but Flaming Katie uh, is the the personality, and I wonder if they're going to bring that up in the next episode. What happens? Can you see that? Yeah, that's from the first episode of Doom Patrol. Yeah, that's that's when Sun Daddy shows up. But Flaming Katie is this right here? This is Flaming Katie, and I remember that because I got that confused the first time we watched Donkey Patrol, and I was like, "Is that Sun Daddy?" And it, that's not. That's Flaming Katie. Uh, it's a diff- totally different pyro. Related, I guess Sunday he's not pyro, but more so just a star for a head. <laughs> um, but man, yeah, it's like it's we gotta talk about this. The last... screenshots from the show, yeah, the screenshots from the show definitely show Flaming Katie as like the um phoenix type, uh, you know, just anthrop anthrop. Anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic, oh, anthropomorphic, fire, fire. That's where it is. Humanoid fire. Yeah. <sighs> and here we go into this Game of Thrones esque red wedding kind of scenario for me, just because like when when this scene changes, Dorothy makes a wish. Man, oh man, I was like, the shot starts with driver eight, and I'm like, what's going to happen to my favorite personality? I mean, I say (laughs) one of my favorite personalities. Hangman's Beautiful Daughter is one of my favorite personalities, but I really like driver eight. And I'm like, the shot started with driver eight, and I was like, please don't let anything happen to driver eight. But then I was like, if anything happens to driver eight, it could happen to to all the personalities. Man, this scared me. I was so nervous. <laughs> it's more it it definitely raises more questions because that wasn't a thing that I would think could happen. Also, do you want to try to take a guess of what the wish was? To just kill baby like, doll. Was it that dark? But was it that dark to be like I wish this personality I wish Candlemaker would go into Jane's underground and kill them? Or was it, you know, it may be something where it's like the wishes are somewhat juvenile in a sense of like, I just want this to stop. And Candlemaker is the extreme malice um, personality that just does the ruthless killing. Like we saw, you know, in the first episode in the, uh, you know, circus thing, the traveling... Uh, freak show, if you will. I apologize. I don't like using that term. But 
um, you know, made a wish and then everybody died. I. Th- it's <sighs> like at some point, Candlemaker is acting on its own in the destruction aspect. I think. I think she wished for Baby Doll specifically to be either hurt or killed. And with that wish, Candlemaker can show up inside the underground. That's terrifying. Because Candlemaker is death. Candlemaker is, like I said earlier, it's not an imaginary friend. Yeah. This thing is the embodiment of, like, death in some weird, messed up way. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a... If people don't read the comics, don't start now. (laughs) Don't spoil it for yourself now. You know, this might be for, like, people who are like, oh, I have read that, and I, you know, if if what is going to happen is what happens in the books, scary. Because I don't know how that's going to translate in a TV show where things have lasting consequences. Candlemaker is a very... Uh, it's kind of like a a Trigon character or... Yeah. If you want to put it in Justice League terms, it could be like more of like a a dark side type thing. This character... If, if, if the character were to, were to kill, it could kill. And... That's why it scares me with Baby Doll, where I'm like, I think this thing just killed a personality. It did. Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm in the, I'm in the, yeah. So, like, now, well, it killed two. It killed Flaming Katie and Baby Doll. That's the other thing. Yeah. I think maybe like, she wished for both to that's, die. That's two personalities that, like... Now what the fuck does that mean for Kay? Like that's the that's yeah. that's a bigger question. It's like how now where is the coping mechanism from that? And that's terrifying. Cuz now you know, you don't the reason to switch between personalities was because you were split 64 different ways and these things did need to and did help with managing, you know, certain emotions and things that were happening. And being able to cope with him and deal with all that stuff. Now you're down two? To 62, Shit. yeah. And man, I think Flaming Katie did die as well. Because there's like a substantial shot on the character as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it's crazy that this scene happens. It's incredible. This candle maker, by the way. The CGI work on this candle maker is pretty damn good, I gotta say. Yeah. Like when it shows up, I was like, oh fuck, that's a candle maker. It's actually here. Here's Flaming Katie right now showing up. Uh, let me see what happens. Flaming Katie gets thrown out and like extinguished. Yeah. Maybe Kate- Flaming Katie's dead. I'm glad Hammerhead didn't die because I I thought this was going to turn into a real red wedding thing. Is that a normal term that we're using nowadays? I'm using it in the sense of like, not just you, but in 
like, do we, f- shit, like, is that a valid, um, uh, callback, or is that a valid reference to explain killing off your main characters? Um, like, is that, is that an accepted thing for people to just say, like, if you were having a press conference and you were telling someone, like, yeah, we're probably going to wed wedding, wed, red wedding them, like, yeah. I don't like that. Well, in a, that, in a pop culture sense, yeah, wrong. because this is, you know, in, in pop culture zeitgeist, you could say, like, this sequel is like the Empire Strikes Back or something. And then you were like, all right, I get it. And it's just pop culture zeitgeistism. Um, the the only thing, you know, and usually what, what makes those things substantial is that they happened first, in a sense. And if you think about the the, the Storm of Swords, is that he wrote that book in like 97 or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. like you know, uh, in, in the book publication like it happened, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago. More than 20 years ago. And so Red Wedding uh is a, a substantial moment in fiction. You know, and if you say like, "Oh, you know, this is going to be the Empire Strikes Back of such and such," Then, in pop culture, it's like, well, yeah, that happened in 1980, so it it has become the pop culture definition of of what can happen with characters or, you know, with fiction storytelling and stuff like that. Um, so when you say red wet, when I say red wedding, it's like, yeah, I say it because most people, and especially now with the TV show, they understand when things can end on such an upsettingly bad note that it becomes such good television that you're like, oh, wow, my characters that I've, that I've loved have been killed off in such a cliffhangery, upsetting way. Like, uh, if they would have killed, if they had killed off Hammerhead in this scene, I would have been upset. I would have been like, but like I said, like not upset at the writers, just upset. Just like, uh, like, you motherfuckers. I'm reading... <laughs> I'm, I went down a tangent and trying to find off, like... Um, conversations about uh, killing off your main characters and everything like that. And it seems like a lot of them... A lot of these discussions are going back to, like... It doesn't have to be justifiable... And this is obviously opinion based. It's like doesn't have to be justifiable, but if you show reluctance in it, that makes it mean something. That means you're winning instead of just like, sorry, you're dead, which is the opposite of the red wedding and all of Game of Thrones. No one ever, you didn't linger on a shot of that person too long unless it was dead to enact remorse or to 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 do anything. It was just like, yep, he's dead. The that's a that's a tough one. But okay, perfect example, Count Dooku. It's okay, but that ah okay, that's debatable too (laughs) because some people don't like how quickly he died, and some. But Anakin still hesitated. That's the thing. Yeah, he was still there, hesitating in the decision to do that. Yes, Count Dooku wasn't a you know particularly main character. But uh, the hesitation of killing that that person off was there. 
I don't know. This is that's that's no, that's you're much. you're right. But uh, this is this is done at the right way where you don't it you don't you also don't want to show the breadcrumbs of someone dying off, which is that's just as bad. Yeah, you don't want it to be whiplash, and you don't want it to be spoon fed. You don't want either or. Whiplash is like Gal Gadot's character in Fast and Furious, Giselle, oh, yeah. being killed off, yeah. and like I'm gonna jump off this plane and kill myself for your for your you know because I'm I'm filming Wonder Woman actually and I I, I gotta go yeah uh and so you know that's <laughs> that's Whiplash like you know some of them are spoon fed and you know one of the worst ways this show could be is if you know you know they spoon fed that. There's so much Larry Trainer. Everyone's loving Larry Trainer, and it's like yeah. we're just building up to kill him off. That would be one of those. Or things. like, yeah, I mean, but like sitting from my point of view, I did not know that it was even possible to kill off the personalities or do anything. Like, I did not know that was a thing to take them away to kill them off to do anything other than yeah. keep them in the underground. This is the best. Other way. than have them still like existing. Yeah, I'm absolutely. I am. Uh, I was shocked at this last scene. Um, yes, it upset me, but what upset me is like how many more questions it raised because I didn't know that that killing was possible. I didn't know any of this was possible. Yeah, and that's what that's what upsets me. It's like, oh my god, that's insane. By the way, have you ever seen the movie Whiplash? Good movie with uh, Ellen Page. Ellen Page, mm. the dr- the the drumming kid movie. Isn't Ellen Page like roller derby? I'll look up the title later. Oh, they called Whip It. Whip It. No, never mind. That's my Friday night. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see where we go from now, and it's it's upsetting in that way where it's like that these things happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, it's it with the the scene of. What do you think was going on on the surface? So if Baby Doll ran back into the underground, um, I, you know, because she's seen running through the tunnel, and then Candlemaker is man, coming up that cool. same way. Yeah. It's like, that's obviously like, you know, the entrance into the underground and everything like that, but uh, who is up top? Because Jane's down there. Unless, like, you just, like, toss somebody up, like, uh, you gotta randomly chose someone has to be up top or complete pass out of a person i don't know oh man that's upsetting it's oh jesus christ man it i don't know the way i was afraid (laughs) that ending that ending is weird The, the way jane is looking at baby doll's body on the ground there, that's what I was feeling because I'm in such dismay because I didn't know that this could happen. So it's like, It was weird. It was like, I was scared. I was like, because I I thought when the train crashed for Driver 8, I was like, are they going to kill off just Crazy Jane altogether? Like, I I was panicked. I was like, what if they're what if all the personalities are just experiencing what's happening on the surface level? I was like worried. I was like, what's happening? Don't kill off the whole person. 
and I, yeah. it was but that's candle maker and that's why i'm saying like this candle maker thing it can it can kill yeah and it might so uh upsetting episode a lot of cool stuff we talked for very long today on today's episode but like man this thing's got to go and how it goes might change because I know we introduced Mark Shepard for Willoughby Kipling in the in the first episode, but I don't, I don't know if they're going to bring him back or or what's going to happen. But uh, overall, it just it, this I don't even know what the next episode is going to be. I haven't seen the promos or anything, but <sighs> I'm shocked. Yeah, I can definitely tell you that I am. Uh... I am shocked. I'm glad I didn't text you about episode. it either. I was like, after I watched the episode, I was like, don't ask him about it. Just wait to record and we'll see what happens. Yeah. But. I did do some pretty fast scrolling through Twitter uh, these past couple of days. Um, You know, whenever I saw anybody do something, I saw someone post a reaction uh, to us. And it was like me when I uh, saw, you know, the last episode. And I was like, I can't, I can't look, I can't look at, I'm sorry, can't look at it yet. Um, but yeah, it's just like, oh, oh, I am definitely an audience member in awe right now. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. Um, but if, uh, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, as we, as we look back at Finger Patrol, uh, you can find us on all social media at Radio, Radio Doom Patrol on all social media and and you can um well mostly twitter but you can find us on facebook as well at the at the facebook group the dc cinematic minute listener society and you can keep chatting with us there and you know we we would love to talk with you about today's episode or you know any episodes that you're catching up on or just you know maybe you're reading doom patrol comics and um maybe you're looking for some some more content from us we do have a patreon you can go to patreon.com Search for Too Old Media, Too Old Media, and we're doing some some Patreon content there, or just ask us, and we'll, we'll point you to the right direction. But for $1, you can support us, and it's really just $1. That's, that's one McChicken there. Uh, you can definitely support us on the show and help us buy new equipment and keep the show afloat, pay for our taxes, you know, all those kind of things. Um, so yeah, hit us up. Become friends with us. Talk to us. Uh, We need voices. Uh, And uh, with that being said, DJ, please take it away. I see those fingers reaching for the dial, but don't push my buttons unless you're looking to catch these hands. I'd give you the blast so fast that your life has passed before your ass has even hit the grass. Whack! Jack, smack, woo, snatch, scratch, black, uh, blackjack, racetrack, here we go, flapjack, and still coming back with more episodes of Doom Patrol Radio.